I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, the podcast that is hosted this week by someone I've wanted to work with my whole life. I'm your host, Joe Cunningham, and joining me to discuss WandaVision are... James Hunt. And, oh, should we... Sorry, should we do that again, or... It's Android. Uh, just, we can... <laughs> sorry, that was just a WandaVision joke. Joe, Adam, we'll... the, the, the torpedoes the format perfectly, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I got oh, it, I got God. It. I didn't get it, but that was perfect. I was going to say, should we take that again? Should we go from the start? <laughs> God, I, I, I'm forgetting that I created this thing. It was Andrew um, all along. <laughs> um, Andrew, uh, thank you for joining us. Um, for our listeners that, that don't know, um, you are the, the perfect guest for our One Division episode because... Um, not only have you been re- writing weekly recaps, reviews of WandaVision in The Guardian, um, you are also a script editor who's worked on sitcoms like The Detectorist and Red Dwarf and on shows like Chewing Gum and In My Skin. And it's uh, you, you, basically, I reached out to you, I think, on the, the first weekend after WandaVision had aired and was like, can I just like. <laughs> book can you I, in now. Can I, yeah, can I book you in now? Can I, can I get in before anyone else does? <laughs> it's the perfect nexus, isn't it? Because between, between oh. me doing tweet notes on all the Marvel movies on Twitter over the, the various years and me obsessing over sitcoms, it's <laughs> it's not to use the word nexus inappropriately during this, <laughs> this particular <laughs> conversation. Um, it's also the name of the internet place where Ultron hid for a bit. It, yeah, it is. In, um, in Yeah, no, it's a perfect fit, isn't it? So, we will get to WandaVision. So, yeah, uh, we will be discussing the 2021 show. Show run by Jack Shaver, who I'm sure we'll be talking about a lot. Uh, WandaVision. But before any of that, I'm going to ask James to explain to me a comic book concept that I just don't understand. What's happening with Wanda and Vision right now in Marvel Comics? <laughs> Good question. Surprisingly, not a lot. Um, oh, that, that is surprising, right? It is, isn't it? I guess... Partly we can blame the sort of COVID delays to both the TV and comics industry for this, but I don't know. It feels like there's a surprising lack of corporate synergy here. Maybe they just didn't realise how much WandaVision was going to get with the public. So as it stands, uh, Wanda is currently a teacher at Strange Academy. Uh, Strange Academy is a sort of Doctor Strange-led Harry Potter ripoff where he's training a bunch of magic kids. 
Um, okay. So Wanda's over there being a teacher. And uh, Vision is hanging out with his daughter Viv in The Champions, but as a supporting character. Neither of them are currently in, in main books anywhere. The character of Viv came from Tom King's Vision series, which I think is probably, if anyone is going to... If anyone's going to look for a, a comic to read after WandaVision, I think the 2015-2016 Vision, um, Vision series by Tom King and Gabriel Walter is the one to go for. Because it has that kind of suburban mystery superheroes aspect. It's very Blue Velvet. Is yeah, the, it's, the it's mostly King. focused around Vision and his new family and the sort of increasing uh horror of the suburban life they're trying to carve out for themselves well not really fitting in uh but one yeah, does appear there's a it. very there's a very kind of um immigrant kind of or a person who is different <laughs> moving into a community kind of vibe as well yeah um yeah, it's um, it's great, and I guess I and, I and I, I guess James really that was the last time Vision was a was a big focal point in the comics. Would that be right? And the same for Scarlet Witch. You had a series around the same time. Yeah, Scarlet Witch had a series also... around the same time by uh, James Robinson, which sort of was the first real attempt to purpose her as a main character. You know, for her entire history. Mm. Um, that was the series which introduced the idea that the Scarlet Witch was was a legacy title that had previously been held by other people. Um, so that's quite a recent idea, and it's interesting to see it make it to the screen of WandaVision. Um, but again, Kinda. that's that's the last time anything major was done with her. The last the last thing she she did before Strange Academy was um, sort of a cameo in an X Men crossover where she was trying to undo the fact that she had killed off 16 million mutants, a, you know, a solid decade ago. So, yeah. Hey, it, like there's... I say, it's surprising. Ah, However, I've, I just remembered, I have got another piece of information, which is definitely of interest. And that is that um, there was a Darkhold series planned during the pandemic, which didn't come to fruition. Mm. Apparently that is almost back on the schedules. It hasn't been officially announced. But the this Darkhold series is coming out this year and will star Wonder. Oh right, okay, yeah. So maybe so maybe that is the belated corporate synergy that that we need. Maybe it also stars like Doctor Doom and Spider Man and a bunch of other characters. So right, okay. it's hard to say. It's not like a Wonder Wonder story, but you know, if you if you get to the end of Wonder Vision and think, what would Wonder do with a Darkhold? Here's here's a good answer. <laughs> Right, excellent. Uh, that that was that's interesting. And you know what, a dark old comic after watching this show, I'm, I'm kind of interested. <laughs> there actually was a dark old comic before in the nineties. Um, unfortunately, it suffers from the same affliction many nineties so- comics suffer, which is that it is unreadably shit. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. Well, maybe we won't seek that one out then. <laughs> Okay, um, let's move on now to our comic book movie and TV news section. And um, hey, this is a TV episode. Let's start out with some TV news. Um, The live action Powerpuff Girls are coming to the CW. (laughs) Um, Andrew, James, were you ever Powerpuff Girls fans? No. (laughs) 
<laughs> I I liked what I saw. I never watched much. I mean, I was at university when it was popular, so you would have thought I would have had plenty of time for it, but I was watching Invader Zim instead. So this this show is coming to the CW, um, and interestingly, um, they've they've cast the three Powerpuff Girls. I I think the biggest star that's been announced is Chloe Bennett, who was uh, you know essentially became the lead on Agents of Shield. Um, it it's also going to star Dove Cameron, who was like the lead of the Disney Descendant series. And then an actress called Yana Peralt, who I think is better known for her Broadway work. She was in a Alanis Morissette musical. Um, so CW Powerpuff Girls show um, and the creative people behind it. Um, someone I'm not too familiar with called uh, Heather Regnier. Then Greg Belanti, who is the you know the guy <laughs> behind all of the superhero stuff on the CW. And then Diablo Cody, which I thought okay. was really interesting. So I guess Diablo Cody... You know, um, probably still probably best known for Juno, but um, did Tully, Young Adult, um, Jennifer's Body. Um, I just I think this is maybe one to look out for. Um, I wonder. I wonder whether the Powerpuff Girls have like this potentially cross generational appeal, where they have that throwbackness, but you know, to to probably probably my generation that grew up with the Powerpuff Girls. Was it was it on the radar for you when you were younger, James, or was it? Not when I was younger. No, like I said, no. I was I was in so my late teens, early twenties when it was popular. <laughs> so maybe the early thirties and below crowd then for the Powerpuff Girls. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this could work. I'm getting sort of Riverdale vibes from the idea. Um, so Powerpuff Girls, um, pilot at least coming to the CW, um, and then I wanted to talk about some DC. Um, we don't have any Marvel news this week. It's all DC stuff. And um, Andrew, I remember having you on as a guest way back when um, when Zack Snyder's Justice League was just going into production. And do you remember Zack Snyder's the... what Justice League? Yeah, I know. <laughs> um... God, I mean, is that a thing? I don't think anyone's ever come across. Yeah, well, it's never. It's it's weirdly. It's it's never come back into the news cycle. Well, since. the thing is, he's a very understated filmmaker. <laughs> but do you remember the big the big charm offensive that was going on with with Zack Snyder and and um, how this was kind of a all the journalists were invited to the set very early yeah. in the production and. Funny enough, I linked to some of that stuff the other week. Yeah. And I, I just think it's a, it's a, for me anyway, this, I've been thinking about that in the last couple of weeks as we've been uh, getting closer to the release of the Snyder Cut um, and, and thinking about quite how much has changed for DC in, in such a, in such a short amount of time that, you know, that was the putting the cart before the horse vehicle where we were going to get, you know, we were going to meet all of those characters and then they were all going to spin off and we were going to do all of these different adventures afterwards. And it was all going to be, it was going to be kicked off by that project. And, you know, what we found out since essentially is that, you know, Zack Snyder didn't finish production on that, on, on Justice League, yeah. uh, that Joss Whedon had been brought in for the reshoots while he was still on set even. And now we have this weird fractured DC universe that is kind of half in the Snyderverse and half yeah. not. And I think that's reflected in in the news this week, which is why um, 
I, I just thought I would presage these three stories with that with that little piece of context. So the first the first piece of news is that Dwayne Johnson's Black Adam movie is going to be filming next month. Um, wow! That yeah. Now, when did Shazam come out, guys? How recently? Oh. If you just pick out a year, what year did Shazam come out? Twenty nineteen. Eighteen. It was it was summer twenty nineteen, which is crazy, right? It's absolutely crazy. Um, Black Adam is is now moving into production, so you would imagine that we will be getting that project like next year, maybe. And and you know Dwayne Johnson, who's been signed onto it since Word Go. <laughs> is, yeah, that was yeah, the still coming back. Was a, a million years ago. He yeah, was announced was... before any of the Shazam cast. Yeah, it was. Well. It was the first thing that made us realize they were doing Shazam movies, wasn't it? It was the yeah. He'd been coming. Yeah. Shazam two's happening, right? I... It's it's happening, but I believe it's on the slate for after Black Adam. Sure. Well, get your ducks in a row, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> But that feels like a kind of 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 all of the DC stuff, the 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 projects that has the least entanglement with anything else. Yeah, it's it's kind of got its own corner. It had a headless Superman cameo at the end of it, I guess, <laughs> <laughs> but that could have been anyone. It certainly wasn't Henry Cavill. There wasn't a hint of mustache. Uh, <laughs> so, so yeah, that that's kind of off on it on the side doing its own thing. It's uh, yeah, as as you said, it's. Um, it's Dwayne Johnson. They've cast um, uh, who's in there? Noah Centineo from the To All the Boys movies. Um, Aldis Hodge, um, an actress called Quintessa Swindle, uh, who I'm not, not familiar with. Um, and they're they're playing various members of the JSA. Um, so Black Adam is off doing its own thing. Meanwhile, the Flash movie directed by Andy Muschietti is still rattling through production and has recently cast its supergirl now oh sorry what what excuse me yeah so i don't think anyone was well i don't think anyone was waiting for the supergirl announcement from the flash movie Uh, (laughs) but but here we are so an actress uh called sasha Caller, or it's spelled c-a-l-l-e i'm not familiar with her she's uh she starred in the soap opera the young and the restless uh, she's been cast as Supergirl. Uh, that's notable uh, because she's not your kind of typical um, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, white Supergirl. Uh, she's a Latinx actress. So, uh, you know, that they've taken a different direction with that character. But, you know, when, when, we, uh, when this movie was kind of at the height of the news cycle last summer, it was, you know... Ben Affleck's going to return and we're going to have Michael Keaton and there's going to be this cameo and that cameo and um, it appears it's still happening and you know we're going to see we're going to see that flash the Ezra Miller flash in the Snyder Cut in a couple of weeks and I'm just I'm kind of fascinated by what what area of the DC universe this flash movie is going to end up in is it going to be rewriting <laughs> I have a theory. is it is it going to acknowledge the Snyder Cut at all? Is it going to acknowledge the Justice League version of that character? Um, is well, so Suicide it Squad cameo canon? It was originally a, a Flashpoint movie, right? At, w- yeah. at some point it was a Flashpoint so, movie, yeah. That sort of suggests to me they're going to try and use it to maybe resolve the idea of these movies conflicting with each other by a 
doing what Flashpoint did and saying like, uh, the universe has been shattered. Everything's a bit wonky in different places. But that's always seemed to me like a kind of bug nuts approach to a superhero movie. When yeah, welcome character... to DC Comics, Joe. When How many years know... has it been? <laughs> but you know, when we don't know that character already, is that is that a way to get to know that character to just fix your complicated superhero universe? <laughs> I mean, it sounds like, to be honest, you can do that in two lines. Like, it's it's so... You'd be deaf to build a whole movie about fixing continuity, as opposed to saying, here's a whole movie about a guy who runs through multiverses. P.S. This also solves any continuity headaches yes. if you yeah, insist I guess. on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, that's how you do it. Is you make it a character a character's story about encountering different uh, different worlds and different outcomes and make, yeah, this make is... that the journey they need to go on. I was going to say, like, what better way to learn who the Flash is than by pitting him against versions of characters we already know? Yeah. Yeah. Old oh, Batman God, we're weirdly optimistic Batman. about this. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I, I'm very intrigued by them casting... Um, by them casting a Supergirl. Um, that, yeah, as I said... Isn't it funny how the super characters have become... Oh, and P.S., we've also cast one of those. <laughs> when it used to be, yeah. unless you've got that, you haven't got anything. Like your DC film universe, your shot, your filmed universe can't possibly not have its Superman in place. And now it's like, eh, we'll get to that. But like, I feel like that's that's probably healthy. In the same way as it was, it was, it was healthy for for Marvel to have to step away and do Iron Man. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Well, like, they then, used uh, to stop stop you having Superman or Batman and stuff, didn't they? They were like, yeah. you can have cameos by anyone you like, but you can't have a Superman or a Batman. And now we've got like five. Yeah, that that that. Well, that was the that was the, the you know that first season of Supergirl. It was like we can do Supergirl because we can't do Superman and we yeah. can't show him. Yeah, and then maybe we can have a cameo. And now here he is with his own TV series with yeah. a with a kind of um, you know, I I thought like really interesting fresh take of let's look at Superman and Lois back in Smallville with a couple of kids. Um, <laughs> it's not it's not you know it's not your average superman story that you're expecting um and and they're doing that that's just been renewed for a second season which shouldn't be news because the cw basically renews everything immediately um (laughs) so i I imagine powerpuff girls has just been renewed for its third season (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um speaking of superman uh it was also announced that a new superman movie is in development uh, from Tanahasi Coates and J.J. Abrams. So, I, I mean, I think most people will be familiar with J.J. Abrams. Um, if you listen to our Superman Returns episode, we spoke, or I spoke at length on that episode about J.J. Abrams' flirtation with Superman in the 2000s and how we nearly got a movie called Superman Flyby, uh, which, judging by the plot synopsis for that, is probably a good good thing that we didn't. Uh, but J.J. <laughs> Abrams is attached to producer... Now, Tanahasi Coates, I think, is probably still best known as a columnist. He, I think he writes predominantly um, about issues related to race for The Atlantic. Um, but he's also moved into comics writing over the past kind of five he's years or so. very prominent runs on both Black Panther and Captain America lately. Yes. Right. Um, and so interesting then that Tanahasi Coates is working on a Superman movie. And... That there is no, there isn't, there was nothing formally announced here, 
but the report that was in the Hollywood Reporter suggested that this project would be looking to introduce a black Superman. So again, who knows how that would fit into the DC universe? Um, well, the nice I think... thing is they don't have to decide, do they? No. You know, it's so it's so easy for them now to just keep throwing rocks and see what see what lands yeah. somewhere useful. Um, and you know, I think, I mean, James and I have been talking on the Patreon episodes how the 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 prospect of a Falcon and the Winter Soldier TV series has become significantly more interesting since they have dropped hints about it exploring the idea of having a black Captain America. Right. And I think that Superman, um, and and without spoilers, I think there was another project, very prominent project recently, that explored the idea of somewhat of a black Superman and did it really interestingly uh, for my for my money. Um, and I, you know, the idea of Tanahasi Coates working on this, um, alongside someone like J.J. Abrams, who kind of uh, knows his way around successful it's fun- blockbusters. It's a funny double-edged thing, isn't it, the J.J.? Because on the one hand, it feels like, on the one hand, it feels like, well, there's a there's a steady hand about that somebody gets projects through. Because what we're really talking about here is a script so far. It's not a movie yes. yet. Yeah, it yeah. Have, it's it's not you know all gun all guns blazing and off we go. It's somebody's been asked to write a script, um, and JJ is at least a, a completer of projects. That's his kind of big reputation. Is they go all the way through to the end. They happen, which is a hell of a thing on its own. <laughs> Even but though the, we wish they didn't. Sometimes. Well, sometimes, sometimes you do, and that's kind of the thing. Is is that your first thought is, oh yeah, it will do. Literally every single thing that Superman is famous for doing <laughs> in that film, and it's and I don't know if that's and and sometimes it will have a spin on it, so it can be inverted, and the other person will say the famous line, and <laughs> and it's not it's not that that's inherently awful as a take. In fact, often it's really damn entertaining. But what it doesn't have is longevity. It tends to be quite the thing you you find with both his Star Wars and his Star Trek is. You, he does it once, and you go, "Oh God, that's like so cool to riff on all the tropes." And then the, yeah. he does a second one. You go, "Oh God, we've got to riff on the tropes that were left over that weren't done the first time." <laughs> and actually, uh-huh. it's very few and far between. And all you can do is shout Khan into the air, and mm. you know, discover that somebody's somebody's secret relative because that's all that's left. I it, it gives well me put. both. It gives me both hope and anxiety whenever JJ Abrams <laughs> is attached to a property. Um, so I don't know who the hell knows I mean he's he's certainly the person who can get this through to production which as I say no small thing okay uh, so that's it for this week's news Um, we will move on now to our to begin with spoiler free discussion of uh, WandaVision so if you haven't seen all of the show yet I'm sure most people have we're just gonna we're just gonna talk very briefly about our our spoiler through spoiler free overall thoughts on the show and uh then we'll we'll play a clip from the show we'll come back and we'll dive into it in some detail so um andrew uh, yeah. our, lis- our, our listeners if they are patreon listeners will be familiar with james <laughs> nice thoughts but you know we've we've also had you know the best part of a week to ruminate on that since the finale now so 
I think that will have moved on a little bit. But um, what what was your kind of overall takeaway on? I mean, I'm desperately happy that this thing exists. Yeah. I was seeing people putting it on their their you know list of Marvel movies and finding a ranking for it, and you go, yeah, it is entirely entitled to that level of legitimacy. Yes, this yeah. this has no sense of being. And also ran an afterthought, a secondary consideration, and it's television. It's actively television. It doesn't say we're a movie chopped up into pieces. <laughs> it's really interested in being a TV show in the same way that the movies are really interested in being movies. And that is gorgeous. And then it used the the license of slower burn, a little bit more time. Um, but also I feel like the freedom of being TV, of not having to deal with kind of opening weekend box office and those kinds of questions. Yeah. To be a little richer, a little thicker, a little deeper. And when you start talking about uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, my first thought about Falcon and the Winter Soldier was, oh yeah, I used, I used to like the A-Team. Like, <laughs> the, the, it, they, they'll get in a van and they'll go and do some good and something, something, something. And then you start talking about a black Captain America. And my first thought is, they're not going to handle that. Don't be dumb. And then you watch WandaVision. Yeah, well, and you yes, go, yeah. Hang on, Maybe. this is really about, this is a really feminist show on the quiet without making any fuss about it. It is a really intense discussion about grief and even, like, bigger concepts like an afterlife. <laughs> and it's doing this all in this really accessible way. And suddenly I'm like, wait, might Falcon and Winter Soldier actually be about things? I'm suddenly desperately excited for everything else they're doing because of it. It's like, it's such a standard setup. I'm, I don't know, obviously COVID pushed this production to be the first one out because it was the easiest one to complete relative to, to what they were doing. But I'm so glad it was the first one out of the gate yeah. because it just sets them up as like, oh no, we've got some nerve here. We're going to be peculiar, esoteric. We're going to we're going to be bolder than you think we're going to be. It's it's really interesting what you say about it, unashamedly being a TV show. I was um, I I was thinking back as I was prepping for this episode and going, what was the? I guess if I was going to do the overall like the plot of what ended up being what four and a half five hours worth of tv what would be the what would be the plot points that i'm like right so this happens then this happens then this happens and it's not really massively overstuffed with plot it doesn't it you know you could you could describe what happens here fairly quickly but it doesn't feel like it is a show that that lags that has any paunch in it it certainly doesn't have the netflix marvel problem of feeling like <laughs> we have oh. to we have to pause for two or three episodes after something exciting's happened quick go back to the same two other sets that we've got over and over again <laughs> yeah. because we can't really do much until the finale now and it and it doesn't feel like it has the the kind of the procedural approach that agents of shield had um and Peggy Carter, uh, uh, Agent Carter. Yeah, I mean, I liked Agent Carter more, and I think it benefited from being a, uh, you know, from from having that shorter runtime and and a a story that it wanted to tell. A to but it's B still de- to definitely a procedural, like it's but yes, into but st- a very clean model yes. of of a type of a show. Yeah. Whereas this, I don't know what the, I don't know what the comparison is for One Division. I don't know. Um, it's, I mean, what was nice was talking about things like uh, like Pleasantville and um, 
you know, bits of Doctor Who when it was willing to be this peculiar mm. um, and playing with those kind of alt realities and stuff. And actually, Moffat Sherlock as well does, a, does an entire Christmas special set in the Victorian era, yes. era but not actually. Yeah. Um, and it felt like those kinds of experimental, subjective point of view kinds of things. Um, and then I'm sure you must have got such a kick out of, you know, seeing a show that's attempting to do all of these things, but also has wider masters to serve, that it has to set up this character, or it has to leave this thing here, and it can reveal a thing, but it can't reveal too much of a thing, and it can drop a hint <laughs> about that, and then, you know, us week to week are going, right, so is that going to be important, or is that not going to be important? And it being the first Marvel show as well, not really knowing the answers to those as we yes. go along. I was, I mean, I, I'm, I'm rather chuffed to bits with the weird way that the sitcom plot... That, in fact, that was kind of... For the first half of the season, a lot of the time, my take on whether the show was working or not was whether the sitcom was working. Because mm. the mysteries were still to come. The answers were still... And you could tell things were going to... You know, they were very confident and clear about saying, don't worry, there's answers to all of this stuff coming. <laughs> we yeah. do know that we've set up a load of stuff and that you're wondering about it. But in the meantime, how are they going to deal with this magic app problem with his gummed up <laughs> internal works? Yeah. Which, by the way, one of the best sequences in anything. <laughs> James, what, what a, a week on, where are you with One Division? Uh, yeah, I mean, pretty much where I was before. I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was very well made. Um, kept me on tenterhooks, wondering where it was going, which I always appreciate. Um, one of the problems I had with the Netflix shows is that they were slow without being surprising. Like, you just knew where they yeah. were going to end up for... <laughs> you just knew where they were going to end up and that it was going to take four hours to get there um but one division like every every episode i had no idea what i was going to get served and i enjoyed each one um like you say the speculation we got to do the hints it dropped the little references it made for comics nerds um i think for me i was very happy with it one of the most important things was that it felt essential. And yeah. we, we we debated about... James and I have debated on, you know, from, from the moment that these Disney Plus shows were announced, how, how important they were going to be, how essential they were going to be. And, you know, I think you can... We, and we, we've had a bit of this conversation, but about, you know, when you get to the end of the show how much of it, you know, how much of it, if you watch the next project that Elizabeth Olsen turns up in, how much of it are you going to say, well, all I really need to know is that, or is it going to be, have been able to be explained away in, or are we going to be able to be caught up within a scene of dialogue? And for me, that kind of doesn't matter because the show in itself and its content felt essential. It felt essential that you spend the time with that character because you hadn't been able to do previously. Here's a character that we've seen in four or five movies over the past six, seven years and didn't ever have the opportunity to to, to spend proper time getting to grips with her experiences which you know is something you should want to do if it's a character that you're invested in mm-hmm. um and and it just being as fun as it was week to week to watch and to discuss because the way that it has permeated the zeitgeist um i mean yeah we we sat down at the start of one division saying 
should we just do it? Should we do an episode on the main feed? I don't know. Should, should, should we Should we just quickly record our thoughts for Patreon and pop those up there? <laughs> People might be interested in that. Two, two months later being like, we need to we need to watch every single one of these episodes. We need to get in deep. And also, like, I I have I've had so much fun after every you know I've been if I'm able to take a lunch break at work on a Friday I've been using it to watch One Division mm-hmm. um, because uh, because I want to see it as soon as possible um, and, and also because you don't want to get spoiled because there are actual things <laughs> that you can be spoiled about yeah well, well listen if I'm working on a Friday I'm, I don't have time for Twitter but if I've got a lunch <laughs> if I've got a lunch break you're damn right I'm going to watch it. Um, so yeah, I, I I think I would just echo what Andrew said, which is that I'm so glad that it existed. Um, I I have problems with elements of the show that I'm sure we're going to dig into, and uh, hopefully Andrew will tell me why I'm wrong. Um, <laughs> but you know, broadly and in terms of the the main mo of the show, which I think was let's explore the wanda vision relationship and let's explore wanda's grief i think the show is a a, just a resounding success Mm -hmm. and and let's make a sitcom that's funny yeah it it, it ticked that box for me as well yeah on the weeks that it particularly nailed that um you 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 did feel like it was and there were weeks where it did and weeks where it it didn't quite and i was gonna say there were varying degrees of success in doing that i think yes it's it's sitcom quality but i like i I like the general enduring statement that sitcom is one of those things that they're kind of the same every decade like the (laughs) the the form changes the layer methods of presentation change but the broad stroke of it, where it's about people who, you know, it's about a mode of storytelling and a collection of characters and those functions. Like the the thing I, I keep telling people is there's no there's no particularly functional difference between any generation of sitcom, particularly comedy has trends. Comedy has, as you know, that joke is now massively out of taste and it's been done a million times. And did I say that out loud? Like there are gags that have, <laughs> have, have really become clams now and, and you, you shouldn't do anything more with them. But this kind of drew attention to the fact that, you know, whatever era of sitcom you like, it's just the era of, it's just, it's always there. It's ubiquitous. I love that general overall point of, it's just always there in the background, making you feel like you're okay and the world's okay. Um, let's take a break now. Let's play a clip from the show. We will return from our, with our spoiler-filled thoughts um, and we'll probably start off with some sitcoms. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Heavenly shades of night are calling. It's twilight time. Wonder and vision. Oh, we have five pets. This is our home now. I want us to fit in. Oh, this is going to be a gas. Where did you two move from? How long have you been married? And why don't you have children yet? Our story. I think what my wife means to say is that we moved from... Moved from where? Married when? Damn it, why? Oh, Arthur, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Okay, welcome back to our now spoiler-filled discussion of WandaVision. I'm sure that most of you are, are still around. I'm sure most of you have already seen all of the series because it seemed like everyone was watching. Um, Andrew, I said I wanted to start off with sitcoms because this is kind of what I've been uh, desperate to ask you on the podcast. Um, Which were the episodes that you particularly enjoyed from a sitcom point of view? Were there any that you thought that it got particularly right or particular? Was there any, were there any kind of details that you thought it ever got wrong? Um, do you know what's really interesting is the it worked best the sitcom part worked best when the the desire of the characters within the sitcom meshed with the desires for the the subconscious desires even of the characters who were Marvel superheroes. So in the first two, and in particular the second one, the second one is the highlight. Number episode two is the kind of is the peak for this. It's, oh, what it's so good. It's bet- Bethany all gummed up, Vision all gummed up, and and uh, them trying to make the magic show work. And and that's the kind of the bewitched, I dream of genie kind of episode. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's what's nice about it is there is a the text of the episode is you can't appear in any way peculiar or weird in front of Dotty. It's that 1960s, don't move into the suburbs if you're an outsider, this culture will eat you alive stuff. Like, there's all that that actual historical commentary is going on. Simultaneously, the sitcom thing of, honey, don't appear weird in front of the neighbours. And then the other level is, if, if... Things break too far if the entire neighborhood becomes aware that Wanda and Vision are essentially magical and 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 technological and peculiar. I'm not sure this reality holds together. And at that point in the story, it was like, 
God, if she get if everybody starts going, why is Wanda a witch? Yeah. I'm not sure we get out of this town alive. Like within within Wanda's, I built this with my own mind because of course we were still arguing over like who built it and exactly to what level Wanda was in control of it and all yeah, these things. Yeah. So you you worried on a on a on all the same all the right levels at the same time. They were completely so the stakes of the story were completely in sync, which means that in order for Wanda's mental well being to be preserved and her safety to be okay, she does have to make sure that magic act goes off without a hitch. And it's. Do you know what? it's um what you were talking about there being like you know the 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 fundamentals of sitcoms echoing through the ages yeah like I remember one of, one of weirdly one of the touch points as I was watching those first couple of episodes of me of the oh god no one can find out what's really going on here I was thinking back to being like um 10 11 years old watching my parents are aliens on CITV mm-hmm. which which is that that kind of classic setup and you know vast stretches of the good place recently were that kind of setup of the stakes are so high for from one perspective at different points in that series of people not figuring out what's going on because if they do yes you know we're not going to make it out of this alive is you know so apt in, in various times of that show um and i yeah i agree i i love that episode i love the I love the comedy of that episode. I thought Emma Caulfield was a, a great addition. And I we can we can pepper this stuff in as we're going through the kind of the nerdy stuff. Do you think there was ever any more intention with Emma Caulfield? I thought it was interesting in that final episode that for some reason her name wasn't Dottie, it was something else when everyone else did have a name. She was and one they... of one of the few things that I got right in my my vague little Twitter predictions as the as the finale approached was that she would just become a relevant human in the final act. And I thought actually she might die, but the equivalent kind of happened, which is basically she became the first voice to articulate the pain of the town. And I think that's certainly to wander and it, and in, yeah. and in such gut wrenching terms, like we'd had characters break for seconds, but no one had ever really been saying it to wander. No, right? absolutely. And also, it's worth. I mean, it's worth. No, I I came in this knowing that Jack Schaefer was writing it. I went and looked at um, Timer, her movie, her indie film, her first feature, which stars Emma Caulfield. Which stars Emma Caulfield. <laughs> yeah. So of course, I didn't look at it as like, wow, they've cast what's her name from Buffy. My first thought was, ah, yeah. this is the thing where you get in your former leading lady to come and do a decent part because <laughs> you know she can do certain things. And so I never took it as like you need to worry about who Dottie really is. I just kind of went, this is about being about knowing that she can be a rock. She can be so solid for the emotional stuff that's required of her. And when episode two didn't require everything emotionally of her, but just some good stuff, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, so then probably is another shoe to drop. And that's exactly yeah. what you got eventually. I was I was right about very little about this show, but <laughs> quite why you would hire Emma Caulfield for the part, I actually was right about. So God, James, why did we get someone on who was wrong about everything on the show? That's <laughs> completely different to us. Um, James, James, let me toss to you. Um, she's a character called Sarah. If she is still important in the future, who's who's who could Sarah be? <laughs> I I don't think there's anyone reasonable she could be. You know. There are probably a few Sarahs in the Marvel Universe, but none that spring to mind, put it that way. It I did do... strike me, though, as we as we go through this show, that, that I, I think that 
Kevin Feige and Marvel have so much more opportunity to listen to what fans are reacting positively and negatively to, you know, listen to what they're intrigued by. And I think more so than when you're watching a movie and kind of you might forget about something that kind of intrigued you in Act 1 that never got paid off. For, you know, I'm someone who works in marketing and I (laughs) for my day job and, like, I can only imagine the data and the learnings that they picked up, you know, within <laughs> oh, within Marvel Studios in terms of, well, if we're going to do that again, or if we want to bring that character back, or if we wanted to go down that avenue, people seem to really be intrigued by that thing or that thing. You've got you to gotta wonder, you've got to hope they take the right lessons from it. Because it would be get it would get very easy to say, ah, do you know what we slightly bungled things with mentioning of off-screen characters that then turned out to be not actually anything important at all. <laughs> yes. So now we for- will only mention characters if they are going to turn out to be someone from who's an X-Men. Right, and that's the wrong <laughs> that's the wrong answer to that question, and it yeah. would be so easy to take that lesson away from it. I said with and- the, I mean, I've always said with with like when you let when you let a hive mind loose, an internet hive mind loose mm-hmm. on a, a show that contains a mystery. Like you couldn't make the sixth sense because if you broadcast it into 45 minute episodes over two nights, by the start of episode two, everybody's theory would have figured, figured the whole thing out. Yeah, there's no way that ending lands at all. The momentum of a movie is what carries you through that. And similarly, well, and also, the if- fact you know, it, when you're watching something in that, in when you're watching a movie and there is no ability to pause and walk away and think about it yeah you're just you're living the moment scene to scene like i think six ends is a masterpiece because i I, like i there's no way that i would guess that twist coming because i've been so engaged with those characters in those moments this is and and now i am with wandavision as well but i do have that week that i can go away and let all of the cogs it's a different this is kind of why i don't like it when people tell you in advance that uh, that a twist is coming Yes. Like, it, it destroys that level of detachment because you're just sitting there going, like, what's this actually about, though? Yeah, absolutely. No, you you, I, st- you start doubting everything. It's like being told there is a murderer in the room. It's yeah. like, well, I before think, I was just looking at a room full of people, and now... Mm-hmm. For me, when it when it has come to the online discourse of WandaVision, um, you know, I... I, I I'm aware that, you know, spoiler culture has been taught to death and I'm aware that, you know, if I don't want to get spoiled on one division on a Friday, <laughs> you just I stay probably, off Twitter. I, yeah. I, I need to stay off Twitter, but you know, it's it's there's also that angle where, you know, it's not possible for everyone and you know, it's uh, some people are going to need to get up and go to work and and uh, might be busy that evening and can't watch it till the Saturday or you know, that life gets in the way. And so I don't want to be out there selfishly tweeting stuff. But also, I, I the, for me, the most irritating part of the WandaVision dialogue was the, I am on Twitter on Friday morning letting you know that I've watched the show. And I'm not the person, because <laughs> I think if you're the person openly spoiling WandaVision on Twitter, that's probably because all the people you follow, that's how you consume and talk about TV. But if you're the kind of person that's in the that's on Twitter going like, Oh my god, WandaVision this morning, so emotional. The final scene, I was yeah. in tears. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's, for me, that's as bad, if not worse. Like, you can tell me that a certain character pops up two thirds of the way through, and I'll be like, oh, that's annoying. But if you, but like, the, and it's, you know, it's petty and it's never going to stop. But, you know, that's the stuff that for me, I wish that people would just take a breath and go, 
Mega like a Friday night or Saturday morning. Who <laughs> the hell are you following? Because this didn't happen to me. Oh, like, uh, uh, <laughs> film Twitter. Our, our <laughs> feeds were full of it every Friday morning. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I am yeah. sorry because that is that is a terrible word. I mean, I, I said this in the um, in one of the one of the Guardian show notes, but the. If you if you took Avengers and sliced it up into you know three or four different episodes and released it, Tony Stark's joke about a life model decoy in episode one mm. would have been taken <laughs> as a setup for a, a definite life model decoy later, which actually means that when Phil Coulson gets stabbed, you'd go, "Oh, that's going to be a life model decoy," because Tony mentioned it last time. Like the, in fairness, the, it should have been. That would have been a lot better than what they actually did. Oh, I'm happy with him being dead. There isn't a TV well, show or anything, yeah, is quite. there? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, back to the sitcoms, Andrew. Yes. Um, can so, I, yeah. can oh, I just oh. throw out some sitcom stuff, which is that of all of the sitcoms, I thought modern the Modern Family one was extremely weak and completely failed to capture the the spirit of the sitcom like i think by that point they were being driven more by their own plots than well trying to, trying to ape a style the performances i think the performances that the characters gave were very influenced by the leads of modern family oh yeah but the actual plot of the episode just barely resembled modern family to me which tends to be sort of farcical i think by that point in the series for me it kind of it it couldn't just be pure sitcom anymore. It had to. It had to be getting you into a certain position by the end of the episode. Well, mm-hmm. this is what I mean about that alignment. Where as long as the 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 various levels of the show are all aligned to the same kinds of stakes, then you're fine. But that's not where you are by that point. It's almost impossible to make. I mean, it's, and actually, the turning point was the Halloween episode, which. Mm-hmm. Is a very speci- is a very specific kind of story, and it's almost a very special episode of WandaVision. Um, because what you get is Wanda has not had anyone to talk to about yeah. what she's doing, her anxieties and all this. And okay, a, a person we don't trust has been sent in to talk to her, but at least she gets to talk at last, and it means yeah. that. It, it, you you felt this weird outpouring, and it's like those episodes of. It's weird because they said they were deliberately swerving. I read an interview with Jack Schaefer saying she swerved Roseanne deliberately, <laughs> but actually, it's just like what Roseanne used to do, which is that sometimes you would get a six-minute run of no jokes, where the human drama was just incredibly important to handle properly. And, and so, that, well, that I, I mean, when you say that, I think of uh, in a very similar era, Fresh Prince of Bel Air, which would be right. yeah. a joke a minute, and then suddenly would just go. The last ten minutes of this episode is about Will's dad, and we, so we know, you know, we know the tone that we're going to take here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's no, suddenly the gag writers. No, you're not needed for this bit. We're just not doing it. <laughs> um, so by so you get to that, and that basically is where the the sitcom falls down because they've stopped doing the funny sitcom and started doing the heartbreak sitcom. And once you're through the other side of that, and she's done what she's done, and Vision's walked outside of the 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 hex, and she's blown it up bigger. We're kind of past any way of doing a a plot that meshes with a plot that works as a sitcom. And so yeah, amazingly... So the, so the next episode was always going to have its work cut out for it. It was literally impossible to build it like a modern family story. But the thing they did very, very wrong, I thought, 
was make it make wonder story i'm going to try and have a sit at home and do nothing day because that's a terrible pitch no matter which version of this show you are making <laughs> So it ended up being that the modern family section, weirdly, was the stuff at the circus. Because <laughs> apart from doing some to-camera interviews, mm. there's no way for Wanda... I, I mean, I have a whole thing about the shape of this series and whether we missed opportunities to do other things, like finding out that Agatha was the villain a little bit earlier mm-hmm. so that you get to do the sort of um, battle in suburbia thing where people turn up to dinner parties and hate each other. And are very quietly doing sabotage. And what I thought that we that we lacked after the Agatha reveal was we got that whole episode eight that I, which, by the way, I I my favorite episodes of the series that for me the Malcolm in the Middle one was the was the peak that was right. my favorite, mm-hmm. closely followed by episode two with Flourish and Glamour, mm-hmm. and then episode eight with the let's let's actually take the time to explore. Wanda's trauma um, and I, I loved that episode 8 but I was kind of like at the same time as really enjoying it was going but I also want to know about Agatha who yeah. I've never met before and I've just found out was pulling all the strings and I want to know why she's pulling all the strings and how she was doing it and I, we by the time we got to the finale we just didn't have the time to do that and that's and you know there are worse crimes than getting to the end of a show and going i wish i'd had more of this yeah, yeah. that's that's the that's the best kind of of bad criticism <laughs> that's great but it is that thing and that so yeah that mo- that modern family one is a is a frustration but joe i mm, right so in the in the the Patreon th- the po- Patreon specials, <laughs> this is this you is, had this a is real section ob- where Andrew takes Joe to task. <laughs> you you had a real objection to this being a circus because you said it's got nothing to do with anything. Oh, well, I was going to ask this question if anyone had because I I I think my question was why because i i hadn't worked it out so if you've worked it out andrew oh so there's a couple there's a couple of layers to this and obviously the first one is the is the nice little setup joke they did at the beginning where darcy describes it as a clown car yeah um it's it's almost darcy's perspective on the military which is a bunch of goons running around with tents so (laughs) like just on that level it works for me because actually it's darcy vision for a little bit and that's fine because there's Mm. a sort of psychologically infected nature we always said with one it's always said with Wanda that like she made them versions of what they were um but and obviously the military what they what do they do they turn up with a bunch of vehicles they pitch tents they have living accommodation and work accommodation but it's all temporary and it's all about specialist skills so number one just on a metaphor it's actually really close they're very similar existences but beyond that, it's Modern Family. If you if you say to me that they wouldn't do clowns and shit in Modern Family, literally one of the main characters in Modern Family is a is a clown. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's one of his big things. We've done clown funerals and all sorts in that show. It's completely on point. I love. I, think- I, I thought it was spot on. I thought it was such a nice, particularly because again we've got a showrunner who just thinks. Who doesn't have much time for the military and doesn't have much time for those yeah. kinds of behaviours to just kind of um, strip them of everything and say, you know what, bunch of clowns. Check out these clowns, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you know what, I think I think what didn't track for me in the show itself was I certainly didn't make the leap of this is Darcy Vision for a second, which you know 
that makes that makes a lot more sense. And I think it was just something about the era of it as well that it didn't feel like a modern circus. It felt like we were we were watching like a 1930s circus. Or Do you something know what like though? That. I went to a circus in California well, two yeah, years ago, three years ago, <laughs> and genuinely, it's just that. Like nothing. It's like it's part of the appeal is nothing's changed. Hmm. I and and you know what as well maybe and this might be a good point to move on to that maybe a lot of it stemmed from my frustration with that edge of the show. Yeah, at, at that point in the story because oh, I mean that that episode. I I God, I'd love to go back in and wrestle that one to pee because the the wonder side of it's not quite right. And unfortunately, the Vision Darcy thing is just them in a vehicle. Mm. And it, that's most of the plot, and it's got some audacious, lovely thing like like him him leaving the van while simultaneously leaving his interview, is one of the smartest pieces of understanding complex genre writing I've ever seen. It's glorious because it means that somebody somewhere has figured out that when people do interviews in Modern Family, it doesn't make sense, yeah. but within the WandaVision universe, Wanda. Her magic is making it so that you'd simultaneously jump from one point in the van having a conversation to outside the van being interviewed and then back inside. That's literally real time. But you don't remember any jumps or whatever. So when he decides to leave the interview, he also decides to leave the van. Yeah. It's extraordinary, that moment. But it's surrounded by this quite turgid, moving, unmoving plot. Yeah. And then, and 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 that for me, I believe, was the episode where I felt, you know, that was the episode that had teased the arrival of the engineer, um, oh, yes, which which never came to pass, and was instead, I mean, Andrew, I think that was my least favorite scene in the series, and not because, and and you know, I've, I've talked a lot about this on the patient episodes about the 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 expectations. And the weird ways that fans who are mm-hmm. in deep on the theorizing can react to stuff. And I've tr- I've tried to train myself since being a super lost nerd as a teenager to <laughs> not to not project that onto the shows and try and just take them for what they are. And I'm sure I fall in the you know in the trap sometimes. Um, but it, it wasn't the disappointment in that scene of not getting the engineer. It was right. We've we've teased getting to this point for two or three episodes with oh I've got a friend who's an engineer oh we're going to meet that person they're just on the other side of the ridge wait till we get to the other side of the ridge here we are at the other side of the ridge and it's a space buggy that I'm going to use to try and drive inside of a giant dome it's going to fail whilst I'm inside that giant space buggy I'm going to try and scrabble away from the hex and then decide a second later nah do you know what screw it i'm gonna run in anyway <laughs> can we talk about how that's like, literally what? the same thing she did in the in her uh her first yeah. uh, arrival at westview is she sent in a machine to do it and then when that didn't work very well she just she went just... oh i guess i'll just go, go in <laughs> yeah she i'll physically interact with it instead yeah. that's the same beat to her. and we sh- and we should say <laughs> at least the she's thing... consistent yeah the thing that is hideous that is definitely not working well and to be fair if one part of the show did, ha- had to not work well this is the right part to not work it is the <laughs> it is the sword military stuff it yeah. is that whole gung ho strap on a weapon do some do some fight scenes between some uh, jeeps it, that whole chunk at all points 
never really coalesced the way it was supposed to. Darcy does well, a magnificent arrival uh, yes. in her first, and actually, all three of the the those that trio arrive brilliantly, and then everything there goes to goes to pot yeah. after their one good episode because, because they don't have anything to do. And I I, I rewatched those first handful of episodes and. As much as I kind of enjoyed episode four at the time at this, because we'd watched those first three episodes stuck in this black and white sitcom world, and then suddenly it expands, and then we go, yeah. all right. And the daydream believer at the end of that oh, episode, I thought was just a, a gorgeous drop. And then it's like, bang, here we are outside with our fun friends Randall Park and Kat Dennings, and and then and then with the promise of at the end of this episode. Monica slash Geraldine, who you've enjoyed in the two previous episodes, who I thought was great inside the hex in the, in those first two episodes. Mm-hmm. I'd have loved to see her spend more time in there as well. So that that episode, when we were first watching it, I was like, this is fun. This is a refreshing change of pace. When I rewatched those first handful of episodes, that was the one that just, it just felt like, it felt like doing homework that I'd already done. Oh, oh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> on a on a rewatch, whereas not you know none of the the first three episodes definitely didn't suffer from that, um, and and yeah, and then we we watched those characters for the rest of the season, and I understand from and I, it sounds like Andrew, you've been reading some interviews with Jack Schaefer, Matt mm. Jackman as well since the show has finished, and it sounds like kind of what happened there was that there were characters available and they looked at, well, would it make more sense to bring in characters that we already know um, that, and that we like? And Jack Schaefer was like, you know, when, when the actors, Kat Dennings and Randall Park were suggested, I was like, oh yeah, that would be great. Yeah. And she was like, and she, she was one of the co-writers of Captain Marvel 2, which again, I think a fascinating little wrinkle to think about was that Jack Schaefer had already done most of her work on Captain Marvel 2 before she started working on WandaVision. Um, so she was like, oh, here is a character that I'm already attached to because of what I've done with Captain Marvel 2. And she was on Captain Marvel 1 as well, right? So she's... Yes, Weirdly, she's either side of the Monica divide. <laughs> yeah, so she's she she knows this character and the Maria character really well. Yeah, and is going. Oh, I think I could find a really you know. I, I think I I would love to use her again here and maybe use it as an opportunity to do her origin story. Um, well, like this is and- this is what I was saying the other day, which is that. I personally don't sort of mind that those characters don't go anywhere. Because, mm-hmm. like, their presence is just a function of the MCU being, like, a shared universe. Like, This any... is a very comics point of view, I think you've got as Yeah, well, definitely, James. definitely. Like, in any other TV show, this those characters would have been a few nobodies who didn't have much to do and you didn't care about because their function was just to, to oh, facilitate no. the end of the main story. I slightly disagree with that in as much as I think if they'd been brand new characters, you would have felt an obligation to try and arc them. Mm. Whereas actually, because they're, they're buy-ins with a, with, with a, a, a future life that we don't need to, you're actually allowed to use them this way. I actually agree oh, with I... you, James. I, I don't <laughs> think it's a requirement that they, re, that they need to be, that they need oh. to go through particular arcs or growth yeah. necessarily. Yeah, I agree with you both. Hey, because <laughs> it's not that's not the bit of the sword stuff that didn't work. Was no. and in fact, what went wrong was 
we stopped seeing as much of Jimmy being Jimmy and as much of Darcy being Darcy. Like, very quickly, it got mm. reduced to, oh, quick, can you get this exposition out? Because we're kind of coming up on the final run now. And, you know, I think that if this had have been Marvel, uh, you know, dropping the first four episodes and then coming back a year later and dropping the next four, yep. they would have never separated Randall Park and Kat Dennings. It's a weird choice, isn't it? And they, oh God, I mean, just talk about comedy chops as well. Like if you if you're doing, I love com, I love sitcom. Yeah. To 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 put them to put them together and then break them up and then mostly leave them with Darcy ends up like doing hacking, even though that's not <laughs> yeah, remotely the thing. Who also does hacking? It's and it's that. This is what I mean. It's that military side. It's that that you'll excuse me. That sort of masculine side of the writing, which frankly I am a bit bored with. In movies, well, so I, I, I think it's... they were bored with it as well, yes. and that was that was part of the problem. And I think I, I think what you were saying about Jack Schaefer, so much of Marvel up to this point has been in bed with the idea of the military-industrial complex, right? Because it. Oh, I had a little to... bet with myself at what time you would use the phrase "military-industrial <laughs> complex." <laughs> Uh, because I probably dropped that on episode four. Of I, I think of it as one of your catchphrases now. <laughs> it's it's very much your flourish. <laughs> but it, uh, I've been thinking about this on the podcast, you know, to to back mm. and, and like the way that the way that phase one of Marvel has Shield kind of watching it over its shoulder the whole time, yeah, and that we open up with an arms dealer in Afghanistan. At the at the very start of things, and then mm-hmm. one of our main characters is a soldier, and you know even you know even Thor is essentially as guardian military in that first Thor movie, and oh, it just and, and right up to Captain Marvel being yeah. a fighter pilot, you know it's all, and we spend so much time in those worlds, and I think that while I, I you know I don't think the MCU is this. Uh, right-wing propaganda machine i think it interrogates that stuff and i don't think it always comes out on the you know or, or necessarily Certainly the winter soldier out. doesn't come out on the side of the military yeah. yeah but it still has been pretty obsessed with that side of things Is all this... the way all the way through and this project to me felt like the the most openly critical and, Abs- yeah. and, and just with the way that it turned... Because, like, even with something like The Winter Soldier... Spoilers for The Winter Soldier. Redford's your villain, but you've still got Nick Fury. And you've still got Steve Rogers, the super soldier, as the hero of the whole thing. This was the first one where it felt like every, everyone who was military was was kind of... was bad... And Haywood wasn't just bad; he was cartoonishly dull and boringly bad. And I'm sure that that wasn't—I'm sure that that wasn't all intentional. But you know, even the the, the one character who, who you could say has the link to that side of things yeah. is Monica. But what I, I think what Jack Schaefer kept hitting as we went through this was she's she's an astronaut. She she's someone who wants to spend her life in the stars. She's someone who spent her life looking up. And she's not the fact that she's even having to spend her time like bothering with this kind of stuff at the start of the season is yeah. you know is a pain to her. Um, what, and yeah, this so so all of the all of the sword stuff to me felt directly critical of that whole idea and almost like 
we don't want to be that anymore. It's it. The show itself is is arguably very uninterested in that kind of plotty, plotty, plotty storytelling. It's just like, can you can you just get me from A to B as quickly as possible so I can go back to why this matters to Wanda, why this hurts Vision, why this affects these people, bum, bum, bum. It's so much more interested in emotional storytelling than it is in... Plotty function is essentially what gets you the end, the the big CGI endings of a lot of the second phase of Marvel movies. Is <laughs> like being so interested in like making sure that those beats all all form a, all, all form a progressive trajectory towards a thing. And it's is that as interesting as a human being feeling something? And the answer is probably not. Um, and that's, and, that's and, though, Andrew, that's what frustrated me the most about Haywood as a character. Mm. That I thought we got that glimmer in the middle of the season. Yeah. That, oh, here is a guy that isn't just a, a, a callous cartoonish villain who would, I don't know, shoot a kid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that here is a guy that has been, that's ha- been having to hold things together for five years. Yeah, he has that one lovely little mother. line, doesn't he? Yeah. But that's and, one line, <laughs> you know. And, and, you can't, and, and I felt that if that, that was something that you, if that was a character that you wanted to explore, you had to set him up in direct opposition to someone else. And... When you oh, think back to the Hayward scenes, right? he, he kind of flips. He has his conflicts with someone different every time. Yeah, they could have they could have tied it into the whole theme of the show, right? Because you know, there's a grief in having to abandon what you thought was going to be your life and spend five years living a different reality to to mm. all these people who come back and have it comparatively easy by your reckoning. Like there there's was a... plenty for him to to discuss with Wanda and the other characters but they if this had been a 20 episode si- 20 episode series there would have been an episode where Haywood and either Monica or Darcy were locked in a cell for a bit <laughs> stuck in right a and they'd have gotten to know each other and learn each other's perspectives yeah. so that things were weirder and harder come the finale because you had to fight him again after all he would have been he would have been agent ward in agents of shield oh let's <laughs> i don't know what that is um no let me let me let me just slightly distinguish i think between because there is it's it's the plotty bits it's how you get information from a to b to c and and why i don't know guns end up pointing in a particular direction and all these kinds of things and clearly the show's understood and the problem is it fell for the idea that just saying i've got a friend in the space military who can get us a thing oh what is it it's a space car Thinking that that's interesting, and unfortunately, oh no, 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 we we, we come from twenty odd Marvel movies. We're we're really not surprised by <laughs> it's a moon car, yeah. like and a guy a guy you know did it. It's that it's a very unfortunate thing of of it just trips over the mechanics because I can see now you want to get Jimmy Woo to that town in as expedient a manner as possible, and that's. You do that by saying, "Well, he's the FBI. What would you? What would he? Oh, like a witness protection guy that he's, that's gone missing." You you can see how in the writers' room that feels like good good solve. We'll mention that once, and then he's there. <laughs> Problem solved. But people latch on to unspoken names in a nine part mystery show. 
Yeah. They're just going to do that. And so this this and it's the simplest thing in the world to either for for, for Jimmy to in that in episode four to have seen a guy on TV and go, Oh, that's him. Oh, he runs a donut stand now. That's, he's moving <laughs> yeah, up to, in the world. Oh, for, yeah, for when they for when they're putting the names up on the board. Yep. And and again that's why I think that there was they left the speculation about Dottie open. And and, and well, yeah, to an extent quickly, I kind I of feel gonna... like some of it might have been intentional. Well I was gonna say the, the fact that they left Agnes off that board was a clue, right? And yes. so yes. people yeah, are justified in going like, Well, what else have they not told us? Like yeah. that maybe it's... that's a clue as well. I mean it is impossible to predict. <laughs> completely what a weird audience will latch onto and think is because I, I've made enough episodes of TV shows at this point to know you go on Twitter right after the show the things people fixate on is never <laughs> the stuff that you thought they were going to obsess the things you think are going to be catchphrases the things you think are going to take off and that they're all going to talk about but no they obsess about some detail you don't even know I'm working. I'm writing a kids show at the moment, and my sister is showing episodes to my nieces, to her daughters, and they send me a send videos back of like what they. And then even they're not talking about the bits of the show I expect them to be excited about. So imagine the hive mind gets hold of your show, and the the set. Think about how set design works, production design, art decoration. A guy, a group of people go and photocopy some stuff and do some pictures and stuff. And it's like, oh, God, this has got to be on the set in the morning. And I was too busy dealing with episodes one, seven and three. Right, the, right. Um, pin this stuff up. There was that poster, wasn't there, in someone's bedroom that people thought was a clue. Oh. I've forgotten what it oh, was now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Was it a Smashing this Pumpkins the- poster, maybe? Or um, a Sonic Youth poster, something like that. It was just set dressing. It was like period accurate set dressing. Right. People who weren't familiar with it decided it was it was a clue. Oh, this is like you're right. You can't predict everything. This is like the video I saw go past that said that um, you could tell that this was about um, three different kinds of magic because of the three colours that were making up the fragments of the title sequence at the end of every episode, because <laughs> red, blue, and green, wow. aha, so vision is green, and wonder is red, so blue will be somebody else. And <laughs> Guys, do you not know what to... And, and genuinely, we're talking about the, the hex. You know when the hex looked like... that looked like um, CRT television? Mm-hmm. At, the, at the beginning. And they were like, ah, I see, that's blue magic, and that's what the sun's got. So that's what that's going to turn out to be. It's going, no, 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 that's just what tellish used to look like. Oh, my God, I'm so old. <laughs> but do you know what? We, uh, I mean, I certainly feel like I come from a generation that has been, and I go back to Lost, that has been trained to watch TV shows like that. Like, like um, so when I was uh, 15, 16 years old, I was so obsessed with Lost, like to mm. an unhealthy degree. I would watch every episode four or five times over before the next one aired the next week <laughs> wow um i would i, I spent my favorite websites uh, there was a there was a fan website that i went on called dark ufo and there was a there was lostpedia <laughs> which was like the 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 lost wiki I that i was a regular updated to and you know that was a show that between the seasons had um, <laughs> ar games AR games and they would explain this and they would explain that and sometimes it would get a nod in the in the main show and sometimes it wouldn't and um, I actually guessed it on and if anyone wants to dig this out they're welcome to I guessed it on the official UK Lost podcast on a few occasions oh. 
that was presented by Ian Lee. Um, and like literally when I was, I think, 16 or 17. They were like, um, we've got the nerdiest boy in the UK. Yes. And I was <laughs> and I was obsessed. And so um, we'd watched um, an episode, if anyone remembers it. I think it's, I believe it's called 23 Minutes. It's not a particularly great episode. It's late in season two. And it is an episode for, if anyone who's watched Lost, it's the episode that fills in what happened when Michael went to find Walt after he'd been kidnapped by the others. And <laughs> that the big episode, and, and uh, the episode starts with like Michael frantically typing on his keyboard in the hatch in the in 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 Lost, and um, he frantically types on the keyboard. And I was watching that, and I'm like thinking, well, I'm going to be talking about this on a podcast. I'm just going to check something. And because I'd been watching, I'd been playing along with the AR game between the seasons, and there'd been something on that that where the letters had corresponded to um, the numbers on a phone keypad. So I was like, I wonder what happens if I type all of those letters there into a phone keypad. And they added up to 108, and 108 was the nu- was the number in the hatch on Lost, and it was the number of the you know the the, the all the numbers added up to, and it didn't mean anything beyond that that was a, a, a some someone at Lost had been on on that production team had been deep in enough to think let's throw in another Easter egg there. But for me, I was delighted, and I was delighted that I'd freeze framed that 0.3 seconds of television <laughs> to find that little clue. And I'm but, sure there are a lot of viewers who watched Westworld in the past few years and watched that show that was constructed entirely to be overanalyzed. That that kind of paused production midway through the first season, and it like actively encouraged fans to to do that level of you know of, of dissection of a of a TV show. But those so I think when we get, when we get to something like One Division which is Marvel doing it for the first time. Well, it's Marvel it's... doing something for the first time. I yeah. don't know that they said to us that anybody said, you need to treat this like Lost. No, they and, didn't. But and, I, and, I, and, I, and more but we importantly... Didn't, we didn't know not to. <laughs> well, no, sure. But that, how, how, <laughs> this, is, this is kind of what I'm talking about, is the when we talk about, like, well, we, I'm from the generation who got taught to watch shows this way, there aren't ten shows like that. No. There are very few that function that way. There's that's lost. That's just how my brain works. Well, well, the thing is, you go, oh, another one of these. That's interesting. But nobody told you it was one of these. Don't get me wrong. One division starts oh, no. with a mystery. But yeah. also, let's be honest, we all sat there and going, okay, so this mysterious world has been created by somebody, either Wanda or somebody else, yes. and she's living in it with dead vision. There wasn't a huge question there. We were all very no. comfortable with, okay, I've got the basic of this. But I think the the other stuff that hangs over it is similar to how Game of Thrones was dissected, and that's a that's a very particular TV show. And I and I'm comparing it to these these shows in particular, by the way, because these are the ones that felt like they captured the zeitgeist when they were when they were happening. Mm. And the way that Game of Thrones was discussed, kind of in in that back half of the run, when it when it kind of was or, or when it was particularly interesting i think is when it was kind of up to date with the bucks at some points ahead of the bucks at some point and behind the bucks <laughs> at other points because of the 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 interesting way that george R. R. martin constructs those narratives and the adaptation choices that the show made um 
But the way that people talked about that show was so informed by, well, I know that this happens in the books, but I know that this is different. So this could spin out and this could be one of these three things. And that but it's, it's very much more creating hypotheses of where the story might go as opposed yes. to... Like, nobody's, nobody's sat there doing... Um, Ah, well, I see those two swords on the wall. That means the makers are trying to give us a secret clue <laughs> that Ned Stark is still alive. Yes. No, but for, so for me, it's it's similar to... Uh, spoilers for Game of Thrones or something that doesn't happen in Game of Thrones. But for me, Mephisto in WandaVision is yeah. Lady Stoneheart in Game of Thrones. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Because it's, you know, it's impossible. You know, when I'm sat here week to week going... James, talk me through the comic side of this. As soon as those kids turn up in episode five, whatever it was, or you're going, you're going, so Mephisto? Is oh, it, it's, is it's, it Mephisto? It's funny because I, I, I have a complaint about the Winter Soldier, which is that I didn't, I wish I didn't know that Bucky was the Winter Soldier because I wasn't well enough versed in Captain America comics that that was a foregone conclusion for me when that movie was in development. But by the time the movie arrived, being me, I'd picked up all of the clues and then gone, oh, right, I guess. I find it absolutely mad that anyone could enjoy that film without knowing that fact in advance. Because otherwise, the Winter Soldier is just a guy who turns up with a gun every six scenes. Well, and to be fair, when he takes the mask off, you'd go, sorry, which one are you again? Sorry, who? (laughs) Yeah. Because you really didn't make a dent in that first movie. (laughs) Oh, you were the worst one in the first movie. Great, got it. Yeah. Weirdly, I remember Jenna Coleman better than I remember him from that first film. But. Yeah, I remember almost that Dum Dum Dugan. We've wandered a long way from WandaVision. I was I was just going to drag us back to WandaVision, actually, and say, like, the part of the problem was that they did keep dangling these little hints in front of us. Like, when the beekeeper comes out of the manhole in that one episode, if you pause it and enhance the picture, you can see he's got a sword, a sword logo on his uniform. Oh, yes. Uh, Monica had the sword necklace. Yeah, um, and the sword on the does, helicopter. Yeah, yeah what, did when, she do, what did she do to the beekeeper? We never saw him again. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> when, uh, but that was when, the that's the right level of mystery, isn't it? The sword logo, like that's exactly like you're supposed to go. Oh yeah, the same logo, the same logo, the same logo. Oh, like that's that's what episodes hmm. one, two, three, four. That's well, also bang on the right shape. Wonder appearing to herself in the Infinity Gem. You're you're able to get that. Sorry, I always call it the Infinity Gem because that's what they are in the comics. The Infinity Stone. Um, oh yeah, it's much of a. Much again, of there are things that if you if you stop and look closely, you can see the truth revealed. So yes, I feel like it's hard to it's hard to get too upset about the audience doing that in lots of ways. Um, no, actually, oh, and I don't think upset is. I don't think anyone should be you know, chastised for, for doing it. It's just that you have to know that you've chosen to play a game. Yeah. Mm. As much as the the show has well, said. That's, that's why because I agree course... with you that I remember reading one of your notes that, like, Mephisto isn't going to turn up and be the big villain because they're just not seeding it at all. Yes. And I was like, yeah, as much as it's fun to be like, well, this is what happens in the comics. Like, that's not what's going to happen in the TV show because there's just nothing pointing to it. But it there felt is... like a real possibility that, you know, Early on. at the moment... Uh, well, but even at the moment that Agatha got revealed, that she could have been acting... That, that, you know, because we've been treated... You know, this is... this it is was, I would MCU. say it was a shrinking possibility throughout the show. 
I was deeply was... suspicious of it as a possibility from the start, simply because Monica uh, Wanda's magic never, f- uh, to that point, had not functioned as magic <laughs> magic. It had functioned as, as fantasy sci-fi magic, which is its own thing, and it's it, but it, it functioned like a power set. Well, yeah, so it hadn't already been magic it's, to that point had it, it had just been absolutely. telekinesis or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. So whereas as the show... Doctor Doctor Strange's magic had functioned closer to magic magic and even then they're, they're very conservative about that and by the way i, I mean as, as an aside wanda and doctor strange are two characters in the comics that i don't get on with very well and i bloody love wanda i already did before this show and i'm so into that character and i really enjoyed doctor strange one more than a lot of people did i think something about the way they pivoted it to fat to fantasy fi has worked really well for me um, and in the comics, I, I struggle with them a bit, but she wasn't magical. So a demon turning up to do a, de- a devil's deal <laughs> with her or whatever always felt like a remote possibility anyway. And then, yes, as the series went on, it, the thing that occurred to me was, oh, I think this might eventually bust out to be about magic and adding magic to whatever Wanda already is, which is actually was what it was. And the only way I could see then is like, well, then you could kind of bust out a demon if you really want to, but it's going to be you and you witches and all your magic. You have caused me to come to Earth and do a thing, but I'm just here to be a big villain to be defeated at the end of the story because there's no time for anything else. <laughs> see, I, I think in in my mind there was there was a possibility of like a post credit scene or. A, well, um, or, or or a a nod or a hint to a future person, um, but yeah, in the, in the same way that Doctor Strange had existed with you know most of with, with like Kaecilius and Dormammu, yeah, it's, we, it's had bringing Dormammu guy. in for your third act is a yeah. yeah that felt like that felt like the possibility. Um, I think I think that the one thing that I never really bought into was that anything more. Uh, complicated was going on with Hayward, which obviously did. Oh, uh, I did have season. a I did have a mid mid season flush of like, oh, go on, let him be Ultron. Why not? If, <laughs> if they've done it in one cartoon once, which God knows that clip did the rounds. Um, See, I I thought that yeah, I, I I raised this with James before the finale that could White Vision be uploaded with like Ultron's personality. Somebody said that to me, and I was like, the only thing is, you, you're missing on the chance of Bettany being like opposite Bettany, and it's too yeah. glorious a thing to <laughs> dub him. And with... I should, and that's a, Andrew, that is a great point to to kind of pivot to. That that Paul Bettany piece of trolling, <laughs> I think, was so wonderful. Was because from good. the moment he said it, he had me wrapped around his little finger going, yeah. Is it going to be this? Is it going to be that? Is it going to be that? And that felt just so, so perfect to me. <laughs> and like when we're talking about all of this, by the way, I don't think there was a wrong way to watch One Division. I don't think sure. there was a wrong. I don't think there was a wrong way to discuss One Division. Certainly, James and I talked nonsense in terms of some of the theories <laughs> we had and some of the possibilities. But sometimes they're just fun to talk about. Like absolutely. Yeah, I plan on doing exactly the same thing for Falcon and the Winter Soldier. <laughs> it's all part of the enjoyment, right? The, the... It's part of the enjoyment, and it's part of like getting to because because you do get to grips with the comic book stories that underpin them. Yeah, even if it doesn't end up being a thing in the in the, the show only that the you're only important yourself. thing is that people don't watch it and then go, oh well, that Michael Fassbender didn't turn up, so I'm angry. Yeah. Absolutely, like if you never get mad online, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was too—it was too good a show to get angry at. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you 
can seriously turn your attention to a lot of other things if you're looking for for reason so, to do, yeah. So you mentioned Paul Bettany there, Andrew. Yeah. Um, and I think it would be a good a good point to talk about Bettany, Elizabeth Olsen, um, their performances, and also the family unit that the show creates because the the show makes a very conscious decision to it's not just a sitcom show what became clear halfway through was it's a family sitcom show yeah um i i am not surprised that jack schaefer decided to swerve roseanne um (laughs) but that's a glorious family sitcom i mean forget actual roseanne the human being (laughs) but it's like if someone if someone decided to make the rom-com follow-up to this in you know next year i would say Maybe skip Annie Hall right now. Sure. Yeah. No. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. So, uh, so I'm not surprised, but yeah, I I'd love to get your guys' thoughts on uh, you know both of their performances, but also the idea of this being a a family show, family sitcom lens, and given that the 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 final episode had you know you had to buy into the idea and the emotion of this family unit that was made up of. Uh, Wanda, who we've known through five movies, a memory of Vision, and two created children who didn't have any, who were, who had lived for two weeks but were nine nine years old. <laughs> so did 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 all of that stuff land for you? I mean, I'm 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 still kind of I I still sit around with the the sitcom thing in my head of like what a strangely profound thing it is to say. This is a real family unit, except that we're looking at it through this sitcom lens. And it's kind of the way you watch sitcom. You know how you always... Actually, this isn't a sitcom, it's a sketch show, but it's the same kind of thing. There was a time when um, Harry Enfield was doing Kevin the Teenager, <laughs> that parents with teenagers were finding that incredibly useful as a <laughs> reference at home. Because when their teenager would kick off... They both knew that they that this is what was happening. Yeah, that it looked like it looked on TV, and it helped you <laughs> you understand it, get it back under control, and and come back to because you would make a joke out of it, and yeah. that's I, I I'm a big believer in this. We the the line from Shadowlands: "We read to know we are not alone. We watch sitcom to know it's not just us." <laughs> We're all going through these kinds of things, these family things, these workplace things. These are these are commoner garden things. And you, you watch to see it sort of dealt with. So it's weird to see a family so blatantly fictionalised and go, mm. yeah, but all they are is a funhouse mirror reflection of what real family is because that's what sitcom is. So somehow under all of that, you do get to the truth and the texture between Wanda and Vision, the 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 idea of him being a dad, the idea of them being a couple, the family unit that they create, even though you never get more than about four minutes of screen time with them in their completely normal personas being that. Yeah. yeah and the really performances are just great. I mean, just... <laughs> Sorry, I'm on a roll. The performances are amazing. The 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 way both of them in both of the the leads took up this this mantle of like no I'm gonna mimic era appropriate style every single time you've you've never seen anybody nail Claire from Modern Family who doesn't seem like that specific a performance to no. be honest <laughs> yeah and yet then then Olsen takes a look at her and goes oh I can do that <laughs> and it's so precise it's so on point and my uh, my wife was the one actually who pointed out my wife was the one who <laughs> 
who pointed out that I oh, see I really am a listener um, <laughs> was the one who pointed out that when when Vision sat there doing his to camera interview, he's so Phil Dunphy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yes. and it was just, and and it wasn't just that they did it for that one episode. It was week after week. They went in really pe- particularly in hard to make it true always to that period. Um, no, but I was Andrew, blown I think away what's, what's crucial, I think, in all of this is yeah that we we had Paul Bettany doing a Pitch Perfect, uh, Dick Van Dyke or Brian Cranston. Yeah, or we had we had um, Elizabeth Olsen. You know, as you said, doing uh, uh, Claire Dunphy, but still as Wonder and Vision, you oh, weren't yeah. you you weren't taken out of the nope. character. In no, those it's moments. not pastiche. That's the that's the thing. When people were talking about it like it was a parody or something, it wasn't a mm. parody. It was owned. It was part of. It belonged. It was so much love in it and understanding. It was it was the opposite of saying, "Look at this stuff, isn't it ridiculous?" It was like, "Look at this stuff. Don't we need it?" Hmm. And and James, we we talked about on the 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 episode that felt like it was pretty heavily family ties inspired. Mm-hmm. I think oh. we we both enjoyed that episode an awful lot. Now that was the one out of all of them that I had. I had no. I mean, this yeah, six, no six, no clue about six, that six, comic, comic itself. I, I've never watched an episode of Family Ties. Yeah. All I know about it is that Michael J. Fox was in it <laughs> at some point, um, and. And yeah, I watched that episode, and I still enjoyed it. I still got, yeah. a, I still got a hell of a lot out of that episode. Yeah, because it still worked sure, on its own sh- terms. And I'm sure I could be sitting there and watching, as some of the reviews I read were saying, like uh, that you know, uh, Paul Bettany's doing this perfectly here, or that the moment that um, fake Pietro appears, that. That he's doing a perfect th- uh, version of this character who cameoed in Family Size or this mm-hmm. or that, and and I'm going, yeah, I'm sure I could be talking about in this, those in the same glowing terms as I do for the Malcolm in the Middle episode, but I don't have those reference points, so all I have to fall back on is did that episode work? Do you know? And, do you know what? Yeah, it, I think it did. It's slightly uncannily similar. This is a weird one, but it's slightly like the Ultron performance that James Spade is giving, <laughs> where sometimes he's Tony Stark. Yeah. Like it's got this weird underlayer where it's not oh he it's not James Spader doing his Tony Stark impersonation, but there's something in the in the DNA of both performance and writing. Um, mm. And the same was the same was super true of these, uh, and so much harder and so much more complex and so much more weirdly consistent. Having to do a different one every week. Because one assumes this was, you know, um, a nine-week production or thereabout. They said they first did the first episode in two days, you know. Mm. Um, Which but they, one is... did, they filmed that in front of a studio audience. And God, oh, God, love them for that as yeah. well. I'm so pleased about that. You know me, I love a live studio audience sitcom and <laughs> and to put them through it. And Bettany's got a real skill. I mean, Olsen's amazing as well, but Bettany's got a real knack for drawing out a comic moment. I Him at say... work was in that first episode was incredibly funny and then him drunk was just streets ahead. <laughs> that was probably my favourite work from him in the entire series. I mean, partly partly it was that, those scenes and partly it was when he was being White Vision and the sort of yes. twisted, robotic, angry, confused version of Vision that was still... Imagine doing all of Vision. these things in one series, in nine episodes of a show. You have to what imagine, a gift! You have to imagine, yeah, that for an actor, this was an absolute gift of a show. 
Yeah. Well, and also for Marvel, who have kind of specialised in hiring... Especially in these supporting roles, you know, like good actors. Yeah, Oscar winners to turn on they, and do they, four lines in an entire movie. Yeah, exactly. Thank and, and now thankless lines. And, and now you're thinking, <laughs> right, okay, so we've got Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen, who, you know, have given performances X, Y, and Z across the course of their career that we thought are really great, uh, but have never really given them the meatiest material to chew on within the movies. Oh, now those kind of people can get a show all to themselves. Mm-hmm. Now it's unfortunate that Sebastian Stan is the next one in line, but um... <laughs> yeah, but nice for Anthony Mackie to get his time in the sun. So yeah, I'm really, I'm, I'm really hopeful for Anthony Mackie because he's he's someone that early in his career I, I remember thinking, oh, who's this guy, and that increasingly being kind of chipped away at over the past decade, and and I think part of that probably is you know the the MCU effect of just going. I don't know how interested I am in this character in this moment. Mm. Um, but yeah, oh God, I'm excited for that now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's a gift. And to go back to that, to go back to that family unit, I think they did such a good job with casting those kids. And I completely agree, Andrew. I think the the artifice of the sitcom meant that they could quickly introduce these, these yes. kids who... Who, you know, to all intents and purposes, you spent, like you say, probably like half an hour of screen time with. Yeah. If we're being generous and feeling gen- genuinely emotionally torn in the finale at the. I, not just at, the, at like children disappearing, because that would feel like a cheap trick, mm. but at a mother having to say goodbye to her children and having yes. to make the active decision to say goodbye to her children. And it it just felt. I was in. Oh. I I was a mess in that final episode for a lot of reasons. But God, watching that he- watching the hex close in, knowing that she has to let it close. Mm. Um, and those kids. And those kids. I mean, those kids had a rough ride because obviously there's recasting. They they go from babies to to young kids to older kids. Yeah. And then on top of that, there's only one episode where they're actually properly characterized because. They get that one bit in the Halloween story where you feel like, oh yeah, there's there's like the the more sensible one and the more reckless one because it's like the like it's like his mum and the mum's brother, yeah. And then come the Modern Family episode, they're back to being just a single unit that do exactly the same thing, and it's it, you'd you'd think that would be a huge problem, but I think you're right. I think it's the the sitcom lens again that says no no no. I've already had a shortcut. To giving a shit. I'm already there. Do you think, though, there's also some comics baggage there, which is, you know those characters are going to be interesting. And going to come back somehow. Or at least there is the promise that those characters will will have meaning further down the line, so you pay a bit more attention to them. No, that's very true. So in that moment, you can... You can buy into the emotional torment for the character. Yes. For what for Wonder and Vision mm-hmm. on screen without feeling like, oh my god, they're murdering kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But also Just... but also there's I I wonder if they were kind of encouraged to not overly characterize the kids, since they are blatantly coming back. They're gonna mm. be either the same kids again briefly, but probably we're gonna get to them as teenagers, right? Mm-hmm. Um in you which think, ca- given the wealth of 
teenage young 20s yeah they're clearly superheroes that are that are emerging in the mcu yeah we're young avengers in at some point right in yeah. some versions so with all that to come you kind of don't want anyone to feel like oh yeah but i've already seen those two like it shouldn't feel uninteresting that they yeah. arrive good point good point in their new casting and that one of the ways to do that is to not overly characterize them yet yeah yeah absolutely i think they do a great job with them um We've we've still got a lot of nerdy stuff to cover, so I just want to kind of, from a sitcom point of view, mm. draw things slightly to a close with, how did the in-show explanation of sitcoms land for you, Andrew? You mean the the that it's actually happening and it's broadcasting? No, the um the 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 reason why Wanda has. Oh yeah, no, I I like it now. World. I ha- I have. My personal take on the guided tour through Wanda's backstory, and I love that episode a lot, but I don't think it's necessarily like literally one for one what you're supposed to think literally, 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 literally happened. Yes. Like yeah, I think I it's broadly what happened. And some there are people who are online going like, yeah, they had a Malcolm in the Middle DVD box set and that wouldn't even have been available yet. <laughs> and that's true. And either somebody hasn't thought it through, and you don't genuinely, you don't know if somebody hadn't thought it through or if that was just expedient at the time. And yeah. um but You don't know what was released I, on DVD in Sokovia. Well, that's true. They might have pirated it all across by then. I mean, you have to, also you, you start doing the math about Elizabeth Olsen's age and <laughs> when exactly this is supposed to have happened. It gets it gets very messy. But the broad stroke of it, which is because I remember as a kid sitting on the floor watching the British Empire with my dad and my mum laughing right behind me. There <laughs> Look is at a that thing idiot about enjoying the British Empire. Hey, hey now. <laughs> One of the best constructed farces on the BBC. Uh, James knew what he was doing. <laughs> I enjoyed look, it too. Look, I'm willing to turn... Listen, I will turn this into the British Empire podcast. Don't test me. <laughs> so so the, there is a community... You know, and whatever. A low, a low, and whatever else. There, There is absolutely that family... We all gathered to watch that sitcom, and not mm-hmm. necessarily like we literally looked at it on the clock and said it's on again. But that general sense of those families were on TV while we were being a family at home. Yeah, uh, and workplace families in sitcoms are just families. It's all the same thing. Yeah, um, that seemed very true to me. And although there's a quickie setup for, oh, you know what? He's selling that. He's selling them. That's that's the thing. He's got a suitcase full of them, and this is what. And you go, okay, yeah, okay. So it's kind of Sokovia. I believe that's part of an, the economy there. That seems trueish, but I kind of don't need it to be. I I believe in the warmth of the glow of the television as a communal experience still, um, and as such, that that taps into wonder. I mean, obviously, she's never mentioned sitcoms the entire time she's been in the franchise. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, it, and and you would think that that would make it feel forced and arch, but because it's a, an art form that is so ubiquitous, mm. if she'd said she was fascinated by math, I'd have been like, since when? But fascinated yeah, by who sitcom, doesn't like sitcoms, right? Yeah. yeah. So I, I kind of I buy that completely. I buy it, and I and I think the pettiness around it of that DVD wasn't released, or she or there was that TV show that that you know because she couldn't have been watching Modern Family. It's, yeah, it's 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 silly and it doesn't matter. Like what what I the other angle I thought on this that was interesting, um, the TV writer Emily Van Der Werf was tweeting about 
how she had, as a child, kind of used TV as an escape mechanism, as a, mm. I can I can escape to these worlds that I feel safe in, and um, and kind of like process my emotions through them. Yes, and I feel that I, for me it is it's movies, uh, but I, lo- I I I sometimes feel you know like when I feel shitty i just want to put a movie on because i want to i want to live through someone else's emotions in that moment and i rather than yeah. my own or um you know if i've been, if i you know last year i went through a phase of watching a lot of horror movies in a row because that was the kind of shock to my system emotion mm-hmm. i wanted to deal with rather than the stuff that was going on in my real life and it's it's, it's how our brains work. No, but you know yeah. what? Nobody ever sat around and said, yeah, but when exactly did Tony Stark watch Point Break? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh, he's not been set up as a movie fan. Yeah, but he lives in the world. <laughs> yeah. So I, I thought all of that, I, I, I thought that was handled really well. I've said I, I really mm-hmm. enjoyed episode eight. It has an emotion, again, it has an emotional truth behind well, it. And we, that's I remember the... we were worried early on. We were like, are they actually going to be able to pay this off? Because if it's just, if it's just a fun conceit for the show, yeah. it's going to feel forced and cheap. But they mm-hmm. found to a way to... to weave it into the actual emotional reality of what was happening. And, and it's to go so... back to what you said, Andrew, right at the start about the kind of the stakes of that world and feeling yes. like it could break apart at any point. It did feel like that the, the show had constructed this kind of unwinnable situation for itself because we know that it's got to do Marvel stuff eventually. We know that this this yeah. situation can't persist. That this isn't going to be a sitcom that ends and we wait for season two of One Division where they're all in in this world again. Even if they do another season of One Division in some form, it's not going to be this. Um, it's all going to be action shows next time. <laughs> oh. God, An A-team all... parody, I'm telling you. It's all going to be ABC procedurals. <laughs> <laughs> oh, apparently, Jack Schaefer... This is interesting. Jack Schaefer said that w- one of her pitches had included that the um, flashback figuring out wh- where this all came from episode was going to be a CSI parody. Oh, that would have been fun. <laughs> that would have been fun. Because, like, oh, yeah, figuring out what happened here is kind of... Uh, and doing it as that kind of retro procedural. <laughs> I did wonder early on whether they were going to lead in, lean into the clip show conceit and do... Well... You know, in, you know, in commu- Community does a couple of... Yeah, yeah, the clips that didn't actually show. happen. Yeah. Um, or the cl- yeah, the, or, or the clips that we didn't see. Yeah. Yeah, they they do some fun. So I did wonder whether they were doing that, but I think no. By episode eight, I think they probably realised the task that they had on their hands. Well, funny enough, that stuff doesn't need doesn't warrant a layer of no illusion over the top. You kind of need to know the show is telling you the complete truth now, or is close to the complete truth. On um, the the only way you could do that if it's now if it now is Agatha all along rather than One Division. And yeah. we're, now, we're now watching Agatha fuck with Wanda because that's how she's going to get her answers. Yeah. Um, so maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe Agatha would have been a big CSI fan, Andrew. <laughs> well, mate, and see, right, that kind of works. I also think there's an interesting thing about this being a TV show. In some of the, we've alluded to some of it already, but the TV production quirks that are different to movies, and as you said, kind of having to be working on different episodes at the same time, throw in a fucking global pandemic in the middle of this yeah and i i feel like that the 
you know, like you said, episode one gets filmed in two days. I imagine that episode nine was like a two-month production. And it's it sounds like that was severely hit. So, the, yes. you know, the, the stuff that's just come out about that um, is that they did have a Darcy plot. A subplot with mm-hmm. her and... And the kids, I think, and and probably Monica as well, uh, going after the Darkhold in the basement and encountering uh, Senior Scratchy and and the rabbit turning out to be a little demon Mm -hmm. that scares them out of the basement again. So it sounds like a funny subplot that didn't actually alter the story at all. (laughs) Yeah. But but equally, you know, did, did some stuff get written that didn't end up in there? Did did they at some point decide that... Because as well, you know, it wasn't just that this show appeared before Falcon and the Winter Soldier. The entire movie world pitch. So who's yeah. to say that there isn't an end credits thing in Black Widow that we kind of need to know before something that was going to get revealed in the WandaVision finale was going to be in there. Or who's to say that, you know, like it really did feel like the setup at the end was a setup for the, and I mean the very end end credit yeah, sequence yeah. in episode nine. That really did feel like a come back and join us for Doctor Strange 2 in three months time. Well, not least because they're literally playing Doctor Strange's theme mm. uh, over her as she's <laughs> in, in a more <laughs> ominous way. But actually... They that much at least they always knew that Spider Man was coming first, and I think we've got to assume that because Strange is in Spider Man and blah 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 blah, um, that she's going to ca- cause was, the. F- was Spider Man always coming first? No, Doctor Strange. I mean, that's was supposed to be three months after One Division, right? I don't think Spider Man was ever this early. Oh, was he? Yeah, I think Spider Man would have always been at the earliest summer twenty twenty one because mm-hmm. the last one was like. Oh gosh, is that summer, right? Oh, I beg your pardon. Twenty nineteen. But there's been so there's been so much shuffling. So much shuffling, you yeah. Can't keep up on it. I, I I would be stunned if there wasn't some stuff that they had to take out because because the order of revelations has gone. Because there, oh, there's sure. always something, isn't it? There's always some nod. And I and I think you know I had problems with some of the stuff in the finale. Um, I, I it felt like it it had to be so fast and it had to zip through some stuff. And um, well, again, talking about how how uninterested a show is in the 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 plotty mechanics of quite boisy stuff, all you can do is fly your two visions into the air, and then one swings, and then the <laughs> other swings, and then one laser heads, and then the other one laser heads. There isn't like any structure to that combat at all because it's not interested in that. It's interested in locking them in a library and having a philosophical conversation. <laughs> Which That's the much, more interesting thing. Yeah, yeah, and was and, and was much more interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think we we both reached the triggers broom conclusion on that one, Andrew. <laughs> do you know what? Do you know what? I found a, a, a comment I posted. I genuinely, I can't believe I did. I wrote an art, a, 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 a news piece, kind of ten years ago on a site I used to write for about the Sugar Babes, and the last <laughs> original member of the Sugar Babes had left. And somebody so somebody said, "Uh huh, sounds a bit like the ship of Theseus." And I went, "Oh, you mean Trigger's broom?" And it's like, "Yes." And yeah. that is th- those three references were the- all that was on Twitter for the next twenty four hours after this <laughs> yeah. went out. So oh, good, that British, Sugar Babes British joke Twitter again. Had a lot more fun with that, I think. Yes, we were enjoying the Trigger's broom side of things. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I I think the finale was impacted. Um, I, I, but but what for me that did mean was you know there was. I felt kind of fairly early on, uh, 
beyond a, a moment that we will get to, that there wasn't going to be anything earth-shattering in terms of a big reveal. Like, no, the, the chess pieces are all laid out now. We just need to watch them move around. Yeah, all of its earth-shattering earth was human-emotional. It was not yeah, external and, reveal-y. And, then, and, and so I thought that, you know, to... To reach that final episode, and we talked about it just in the context of the final episode on the Patreon about about what it you know what it felt like for Wonder and Vision in those moments, and how it did it did really feel like a character coming to terms with her grief, her loss, yeah, and and not and not being able to accept it because you can't really accept that kind of thing it doesn't you don't just go and now i have processed that and i feel fine and i can move on with my life i I thought it was really well handled in that it reached that point of i think i can keep going but i'm i'm gonna carry this with me forever that's what it is, isn't it? It's that it's that you become changed by it, and it's it's not processed and you're back to normal. It's that you absorb it and it becomes part of who you are without it hurting you every step you take. And that's weirdly, it what happens at the end is the inverse of how we see her create this alternate vision in the first place. He pours out of her mm-hmm. in that golden stream, and actually, really, she takes him back in. And it's like, and his thing of like, I wonder where uh, I wonder. What I will be next. Yes. And it's like, yeah, well, when and when you do turn up again, you'll be with her because she's got you inside her. There's there's this God, it's gorgeous. I'm welling up. I'm actually welling up talking it's, about for, it. Just for, the, all of, the problem, for all of the theorizing. I was gonna say the problem with that though is that where will he turn up next? Well, there's another vision out there now. Huh. And I felt well, like that, that white vision <laughs> moment, the fact that he flies off at the yeah. end and you're like, oh, he's still around then. Really Do you know that, what? We though? had a bet, me and Joe had a bet about what was what we thought was going to happen. And I think we both came up very strongly that no vision should survive the finale. Yes. In order to avoid undermining the theme. Yeah. Yeah, you don't you don't want it to be the, the terrible mistake Doctor Who made, which is, well, I've parked Rose an alternate dimension with a spare doctor she can bonk. <laughs> like, it doesn't feel right. Something about no. that feels slightly off. And and actually, do you know what though? With that second vision, I get sending him off because slaughtering two visions would have seemed too yeah. hideous, tonally and brutal. But actually all I need I suddenly realised afterwards all I needed was basically to give him Doctor Manhattan's finish. <laughs> I just need him on Mars saying, I think life seems interesting. I think I'll create some. <laughs> and, yeah. and leave him. Just tell me that he's gone. Because right now I feel... That's not the Marvel MO, is it? The Marvel MO no. is, let's leave this as vague as possible to leave as many options for us. Do you know what? Mind. It's very much Hulk in the Quinjet, isn't it? Where yes. you go, well, hang on. Can you not just commit to sending him to space? Well, we don't know yet if we want him in space. <laughs> yeah. Right. But do you know what? If you did, if you sent him to space and then didn't make Thor Ragnarok and did something else, just say, I was out in weird <laughs> yeah. place for a we, while, we've now all back. We've seen the start of Thor 3 where he goes, oh, I, I know I said I was going to go look for the Infinity Stones, but I, actually I didn't find any. And Absolutely. Nobody minds so as long as the story you replace instead, it with. Yeah. yeah. You replace it with a better story, nobody's going to complain. But no, I just you, it would have been so easy to park him... I think it's slightly where they left him as a character as well, because I mean, James and I had talked about uh, on the previous episode about 
white vision in the comics and having this moment mm. where he meets Wanda again and says, you know, I, I, I know I know you, but I don't, I don't feel it. Yeah. And I'm sure that the movies could do that, but the, 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 you know, I watched this with my wife and she was like, so he's got Vision's body and he's got his memories. And I was like, yeah, yeah. that And that's, that's, I, I, at that point you go, so Vision's still out there then. Oh, so, so here's a, Vision's still out there. Here's a big thing for me because I'm, I'm a little bit obsessed with how much the show is about identity and the boxes you get put in. Um, and nowhere is that better exemplified, obviously, than Wanda being literally shown the various boxes that traumatised her through her life, <laughs> um, from from home in Sokovia to uh, the the indoctrination process and the the Mind Stone and all of that stuff. But and never, the- and I repeat, never should we actually see Aaron Taylor Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> He's in the previous. So this- he is, to be fair. In the- yeah, that was weird. Actually, how much they avoided him. Anyway, we'll come back to him. This series of boxes and this thing, and and so much of of her story is about her her n- refuting the idea that if you tell her she's the Scarlet Witch, that means she is it. No, 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 no. You don't get to define me. You don't get to tell me who I am. It's a really clear, constant thing. I, I'm I'm very in love with Hayward's early thing of drawing attention. Someone had to draw attention to the fact that she hadn't been called Scarlet Witch yet. <laughs> but actually, yeah. they give it to him, and they they do it with him because it's like. It's like Carlos the Jackal or something. He wants to give her a terrorist nickname. Yeah. And she doesn't stand she doesn't have one of those. And it's like, yeah, he's looking for a label. He's looking for a marker. He's looking for a box to put her in. When you get to the end and you have white vision, because he has memories and body, it would be very easy to go, well then that's vision. But the the show actively refutes that idea and says that's got nothing to do with anything. That doesn't make him the same thing. Because those are just memories and just a body. And there is something more intrinsic. And you can call it a soul if you want to call it that. That's never been my thing, but whatever. But whatever you call it, you don't get to say, you have been programmed with memories, you have been given this body, that makes you vision and you love wonder. Like, that's that was no part of the conversation. They never even got a, a whiff within close of it. It was never suggested for a moment that he would be like... Oh, I guess I love Wanda too. Where does she live? I'll go and find her. <laughs> it refuted that utterly. It says he doesn't know who he is because all he's got is memories and a body. I love that. I think the messaging is so clear on the show. For me, it just leaves that little crackle under the WandaVision scene. The the the, the goodbye scene that makes you go... I, just, I get I, it. I, I, I would get just, it. Yeah, and I... I the preference would just be and again in the mcu where we're constantly asked to mourn characters yeah (laughs) and you know a show about grief and about loss and that's you know that's what endgame was about to a to a large extent and yeah at, at some point you go like do I need to check my emotional response here? Do I and and I I did feel myself doing that slightly in that moment because do I think that full version of Vision will never be returned to the MCU? I'm not confidently, no. No, well, see, no. But this is this is something that comics grapple with a lot, which is that mm. they can't mm. tell endings because you know these characters aren't supposed to end; they're supposed to go yes. on and on and on. And like, they can have comic book deaths, which mean they will die, but comic book deaths don't mean anything because 
you're always just two panels away from someone coming back to life. Yeah. And I think yeah. this is something the MCU has been grappling with and it's probably going to have to probably going to have to come down a bit harder on in the future just because I, you've got things like Hey, it starts again in Black Widow. Well, it, quite. St- it starts again there because that's, you know, ostensibly a character that's dead that we yeah. I think everyone is assuming will still be dead at the end. Do you of know the what project, I th- I think it's reasonable to acknowledge that the only way this really happens is actor resignation. Mm. And even you then, lose the acting. Yeah. Do we really well. think we'll never see another Tony Stark? No. And and you know what? I'm mm. fine with it. I just kind of think like give me a minute. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's no, why, I that's get why that. I think we should have had zero visions at the end of it because like for this story to work, you want no visions. And like as far as as far as Wanda believes, there are none out there because they never had the conversation about Oh, just so you know, there's a fake me out there who I just let fly off. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is, again, this is what makes that finale feel so so um, bang, 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 bang. We have to get through all of this. Whereas if you'd had the nerve to, for example, introduce the the white vision sort of again after the halloween episode and have it be i said i said in the i said in the show notes actually that it that he's living in like an abandoned house or a shed somewhere and wanda comes and visits him and it's kind of like she's having an affair <laughs> oh, like yeah, that, that they that she's walking through the, and the neighbors are getting suspicious and like you could have played some there's some real atmosphere available to you there but also yeah. weirdly it would have enabled you to have the thing with Wanda where she has to realise that the fake vision she's created is more vision than this vision. And you could have and that other vision could have chosen to let himself die, could have whatever. There's a million ways you could have handled it. But it's killing him in the same episode as you're killing the kids and the real vision. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. can't do it. Whereas if he'd have been dealt with if it had been a mid season hassle and we'd dealt with him last week somehow that would have been fine and then kill, then letting him die would have been within the realms of handleable mm-hmm. and that's that's the stuff that lands best in the finale i think is the stuff that it feels like has been there all the way through the show and that's why the that's why wanda's grief like it doesn't feel like when we go into detail with it on episode 8 and go through the flashbacks that it's come from nowhere because yeah. through, through you know they did a real good job of i think having that like I don't know. Yeah, it does feel a little bit Lynchian. That kind of that that just unease, unsettlement underneath the kind of idyllic suburbia stuff. And, I, oh, and yeah. again, I think they they nail that with Dottie in episode two. Um, that that's that's the first moment that it really hit for me. Well, I know, no, and actually, no, it's the, the choking at the dinner the table. The <laughs> at the dinner table. Yeah, that's yeah, extraordinary. All, and, and it re- and and I think they do a really good job of like even before you know how this world has been created how much wonder controls about it how much intent there is behind what's happened what you definitely get the sense of is this is a character who is just drowning under a weight of emotions yes. and the lang- the language that they keep dropping in whenever they're talking about the idea of grief or the feeling that the other people who are being trapped in this world are experiencing that's what makes the stuff in the final episode land yeah. really well, I think. But it's also a question that I want to ask you about the final episode and how it treats the rest of the people in the town. So, 
I still don't know how to feel about this because I don't feel like, for me anyway, I don't feel like the show definitively puts Wanda in that box, you know, Andrew, that you're talking about. Is she oh, yeah. Is she hero moving forward? Is she villain moving forward? Is she this? Is she that? I think she is so ambiguous at the end. of What's not ambiguous is the way that she's dealt with her grief. But what's ambiguous yeah. is what is her role in this wider universe moving forwards. And I, the thing that didn't sit quite right for me was the... The two moments, the one where she says to Agatha, the difference between you and me is you did this on purpose, which felt like her letting herself off the hook for what she'd done to all of the people in Westview. Because that was that was a question we were asking really early on, or from the moment that Vision kind of untaps Norm. Uh, I think it's Norm, and you mm. and you you hear him going like, "Oh God, oh God, like help us! Like what what have we done wrong? Why is she doing this to us? Yeah. I'm just drowning in this horrible pain." And Dottie has stood there to her and said, "This is what you've put us all through." And Agatha has said, "Does that sound like something that a hero would do?" And she has the two lines. The one are the one is. I didn't do this on purpose. And then the second one is Monica saying, oh, they'll never know what you did for them. And she's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> no, and- that isn't what she says. That's not how she reacts to that <laughs> no, line. No, she does. She says, she says, I'm sorry, but... No, she, 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 she says it wouldn't change, it wouldn't change anything. It wouldn't change and how she they feel about me, yeah. Wouldn't change yeah. how they feel about me. And more importantly, in performance, she acknowledges that that is correct. She doesn't say... It wouldn't change what they feel for me. And, you know, I don't know. They're going to hold that grudge forever, bastards. Like, <laughs> the the performance intention, I think, there is so clear, which is it shouldn't change what they think of me because look what I did. I don't I don't think those two lines... It, I mm. think there's a difference between... Sometimes when dialogue happens, people treat it like they've read the transcript rather than watched the... <laughs> the production I, I what i'm gonna what i'm gonna violently disagree with you here on Andrew hmm. is that it's so clear because I don't, oh no 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 i don't okay. think i don't think that that the i i think a lot of people that have kind of reacted negatively to the finale have read it as the latter and and well, I'm I would, I would, as the latter, but I don't really know. I would suggest very strongly that you have to ignore most of what the whole of the rest of the series, including that episode, has said, in order to take that away as a very clear statement. At the very least, you can go, "Oh, that line doesn't quite articulate it the way it should." I, I think saying, "Oh no, the show's like totally she's here." She literally got the the final image of her in a cabin in the woods is the ending of Incredible Hulk. It's literally the same thing where it's like I might be a danger to other people and I don't understand myself and I need to get myself better under control. That is all self-blame and realisation and absorption. So for sure, she doesn't go, yeah, I'm going to go off and be a hero now. I but think, do you not think surely the, flip, the problem do you not is think that, like the flip side of that is she's reading the book of dark. Yeah, magic she's reading in, the. In, in hey, a, hang on, in, hang on, hang on, hang on. Having in the woods while eerie music plays. Now up, tell it? me that. Tell me this is what you know about the Darkhold from the comics or from what the show has so far told you about the Darkhold? Because well, it does have because it, it the is sh- called the dark hold. It's not called the like fun hold. No, no, no. It, right, but it also <laughs> says. But what it's introduced to to Wanda as is it's the book of the damned. And by the way, the damned aren't people who de- who all just deserve hell, right? The damned is not a, a term that means only bad people. <laughs> it means condemned. That's different. 
It's the Book of the Damned, and it says it's got a section on the Scarlet Witch, and she she absolutely needs to know what's in that. It is it is not. I'm going to go off and study dark magic to do more bad stuff. In like there's it it while, is a search for comprehension. Point, I think part of the problem that people have with the ending is she doesn't say. I acknowledge that I did all this wrong stuff. I will be held accountable, or I will hold myself to account. What she does is go. Well, I'm going to go off and see what I can find out. She doesn't seek help. She doesn't seek help when she doesn't make a play for absolution. I don't. I. I don't agree that locking yourself out in the cabin in the middle of nowhere so you can't hurt anybody else isn't seeking help. I. I. Is it definitely not seeking help? It feels. Well, no, it's the opposite of seeking help. No, no, no. Because self-help is a thing too. Yeah. Self-improvement is a thing too. Just because you don't have a mentor stood over you going, don't... And actually, God, the worst thing you could have said to her was, no, you need some... The people who are hoping Magneto to turn up, <laughs> Magneto to, were hoping for a man to come up and tell her she's been doing wrong. Now, over the course of this series, this this thing about boxes, it's not just wonder in boxes. It's also this thing of... They managed to do a brilliant thing of avoiding the hysterical woman stuff yeah. mm-hmm. that we were all terrified they were going to get yeah. wrong with this. Not because yeah. of who was involved and not even because it's Marvel, but just because the story was intrinsically from comics, torn from a load of blokes going, oh, what if this woman went nuts? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it is a hugely problematic concept while also being fascinating. So as soon as you put a female showrunner, you go, okay, maybe we can get this right. And they got it right gloriously by saying amongst other things it's not that she's hysterical it's that the world keeps telling her to bottle it up again it says your parents die and the start bombs there and you're just gonna have to not know yourself well enough and you're just gonna have to swallow it down uh and you join up with this thing and we're gonna have to erase from the tape that this even happens she erases it from the tape because it's too weird and confusing a trauma and she's locked up in the avengers combat the people whose side she's on it is a series of, of of it's that her flashback episode reminds me so much of the the Thor story when he's talking to Rocket Raccoon <laughs> in Infinity War, yeah, yeah. where you suddenly realise Jesus, he's lost everybody yeah. in a really he's the most tragic figure in this story, and nobody's noticed. <laughs> yeah, and it's kind of like that with her, except that what we didn't notice was a whole psychology was being built there of. Please bottle and internalize, and don't don't let it just. And of course, what happens is it burst out of her, but it didn't burst out of her in hysteria. It burst out of grief. Yeah. Um, and it was so meticulously handled. And the idea that coming out the other side of that, she sees the grief that she's done to everybody else. That anyone thinks that any writer, any showrunner intent here was, and they kind of want to just go. Yeah, she doesn't really care about that stuff too much. She's going off to do another thing. I, I, I just can't see how you read that that run. I get that the lines can be taken a certain way, but I don't think there's anything in the performance that particularly I, leans it. I, for, I think what it also comes down to is after that, after that dotty speech, there isn't much time because they can't be devoted to the other people in the town. Yes, and there isn't there isn't much. We don't we don't spend time really processing what what it meant for all those people and you know this town that we saw was kind of 
run down to begin with and had clearly, you know, like Haywood, had been through some shit in the past five years and was and was having well, he a... says. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the other thing is he wants he Haywood wants a pass for being a dick because yeah. of stuff I've been through and and Wanda never asks for a pass. I, no, I think um, part of the problem though is that like the subtext of the ending is spread your grief around, hurt other people, you know, it's not they're not going to be repercussions for it. I again, I just don't see her leaving as as not repercussions. I just don't see the place she ends up as as yeah, I, as that. I think for me it is it is that yeah, I I think that you know grief is a is a thing that the show explores really well and really interestingly. A big aspect of this show is how her grief affects the people around her, mm. um, and the show just does. I, I think it just doesn't have the time to deal with it. I that agree. I, totally I agree. agree. Inter- I, I completely agree in terms of intent, but I also I also do kind of feel I don't think that we are looking at a wanderer at the end of this show who you are supposed to read as <laughs> fixed. She's she's a she's a good person going forward. I think they they want there to be a question mark. I th- and, yeah. I I, th- I and, this is I why could, I use the whole I comparison. See her as I genuinely think that's. She could be antagonist of Dot Strange too. It could yeah. be. It could be she is absolutely tearing up all the rules of the magic world to try and get her kids back. Yeah, and well, protect them has... very specifically. It well, looks, yeah, the hint yeah. is very much they're in pain. Oh, and and you know what? Like if that's if that's the plot of a <laughs> of a Doctor Strange two, that a character who we've just you know we've just invested all of this empathy with. <laughs> to, uh, and, to and become invested in her family unit. If she is, if she is seen as the villain by trying to save those two children, then you know that that for me has like black oh, we get... vibes where we're walking yeah, in we're... going. I it's... I identify with the villain. <laughs> when 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 Liam Neeson goes after his kids, apparently it's heroic. But when she does it, it's evil. In fairness, her um... kids don't exist. Like she invented. Them well, only in one dimension. <laughs> No, no, and that's the thing. The the my my bigger concern is they they placed left her in a really interesting place, but they've left her in a really interesting place to be handled by some male filmmakers next. Mm, well, and it's yeah. not that that you know these people have a particular. I mean, look, okay, Sam Raimi is the the tree rape guy, but apart from that, <laughs> there's it's hard to know which way that's going to go. But you and you kind of hope that they'll you know handle especially with the success of WandaVision that they will know not to handle this crassly and just position her as straightforward women that you can do it with all the texture of well of you know how they've handled Ruffalo's Hulk apart from anything else mm-hmm. where it is a complex thing um that's you've got to hope that but I can't hold WandaVision to account for the th- story they're going to do next I should point out as well um Doctor Strange 2 has two writers. One of them is uh, female, Jade Ali Bartlett. So, oh, there you go. Okay, not, so it's yeah. Not a, it's not fully male. Uh, fully oh, male I beg you. Well, there we go. So that's that. right. So, I mean, that's. You, you've got it's to hope that's. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's a, and, and also, that is a film that has decided it's going to include America Chavez. So. Good point. Yeah. yeah. So, again, I'm, I'm hopeful for that. And yeah, I really liked Doctor Strange. I'm glad hey. that Scott Derrickson isn't directing Doctor Strange 2. I hope, uh, it I is hope sh- Doctor Strange 2 starts with Baron Mordo turning up at that cabin and Wanda just being like, no. Fuck. 
stripping <laughs> the magic from him immediately and being like, not today, thanks. Yeah, we're not doing that. We're, we're not, not doing, doing that. that story anymore. <laughs> you had your chance, you waited sh- five years, it's gone. It would be a shame for the actor, though. <laughs> no, Mordo, Mordo is perfect for a character who is, if again, if the villain is Scarlet Witch, here is a character messing with magic mm-hmm. and and the dark. Yeah, Lord. maybe maybe this time Stranger Mordo. That's has a good point because you know, in that sense, but, he would he would be proven correct, wouldn't he? Because it would be yeah, like, absolutely. Everything I said was going to happen has happened. Too many yeah. sorcerers. Ah, yeah. oh, bring Chewy, bring Chewy back. Okay, so <laughs> yes. um, we've we've, oh, yeah. we've run long, but I do want to talk about a couple of things. One very quickly, and then one we will. We will <laughs> okay, our, our big, I know where this one's going. Our yeah. big final battle. All right. Um, I want to talk briefly about Catherine Hahn, who I just think oh. is wonderful in this show. Um, I love that they've kept the door open to bring her back, mm-hmm. um, and I'm you know I'm sure they will after the reception in this series. But everything, you know, she, as as much as anyone, she didn't have for a long time in the show the emotional stuff to grab onto. She just no. had to be the fun side character in a sitcom. <laughs> and in every era, she was wonderful. And then I think that, you know, James and I had this big debate prior to the final episode about what is her intent? Is she good? Is she bad? And for me that we don't learn anywhere near enough about Agatha but for me the position of leaving her at the end of the show as someone who's like power hungry and and greedy when it comes to magic but ultimately what her what her MO is is I've read about you you're scary yes <laughs> no we you cannot be allowed to just Look at what you've done already. I can't just let you go out of here. Let, give it to me, and I'll. <laughs> in it's a very, very, it's very Lord, it's very Boromir. I will carry the. Ring, right? <laughs> in a very compressed space, I thought they did a very good job of turning her into somebody that was clearly motivated and motivated with nuance. That you that you go okay all right so she thinks she's kind of doing the right this isn't just about power greed this is also about wonder do you see you shouldn't be doing this stuff this town is literally proof <laughs> you're going to destroy the world should... and I live in the world so yeah so there is for her there is you know we, we God every single time you interview anybody like poor old Christopher Eccleston would have been interviewed and said well he thinks he's the hero of Thor the Dark World. <laughs> You know, but actually, because so he's got layers, and then you see the film, and you go, "Ah, oh, shit." <laughs> um, but I, but with her, there's a real thing of like, I on any given day, I don't know which side of whatever next Avengersy kind of movie conflict would happen, and it'll be a little bit. You you made the comparison, Joe, of course, to Loki, and Loki's a really good fit for the sort of archetype we're dealing with. With her. I just, I just think she's the the. The right side of the coin to Loki's evil yeah. side. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely. I think, like I said, I think she's chaotic good. I think it's uh, yeah, and I th- and I and also, oh god, and she's parked really well. I mean, for for all that went wrong with White Vision trying to be trying to park White Vision for whatever, <laughs> the way she is parked, Wanda does to her, and it's and it's 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 significant that although it's a little bit vengeful. It is. It is basically. I want you to experience the thing that I just experienced, which is I live in suburbia and I don't know what's wrong with my life, mm. and now you're going to have to live with that for a bit because I can't deal with you any other way. But I think that does tie into the the previous debate that you know she she ends the episode saying to Wanda, 
no, you're not. You're cruel. Yeah. And in that, well, and in that, and in and that you're moment, going, yeah, yeah, you're you going, are cruel. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, and I, 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 I totally agree. But I think the that you put that word in a character's mouth for the audience to know that the show is saying, mm-hmm. should we worry about this? That's that goes back to the same thing of intent. It should. It's. It's not the show letting wander off the hook. It's. It's somebody saying, "Well, hang on, maybe she's got a point. She's had a couple of good points before, actually." Oh God. Right. Okay. We've reached the, oh, no, the climax of our episode. <laughs> I'm really nervous about this one, guys. The three of us are flying up into the clouds, and we're going to have a. <laughs> it's time to fight. get the head lasers out. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's 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 time to argue about Boner. I I have to say I am ready to start the Ralph Boner Appreciation Society. <laughs> so, Andrew, I think um, all of our listeners will be well aware of you guys the, are so upset. The dis- <laughs> and this is what I want to this is what I want to talk to you about. Um, that this this was the only moment in the show where I was like. I wasn't disappointed that my theory wasn't right. I just mm-hmm. wanted to, like, and I felt the way the show had constructed bringing in Evan Peters at the end of an episode as what felt like, you know, like the cliffhanger, the like the mid-season, like, whoa, here, like, mm-hmm. and it, it, you know, and the way, and I know this is out of the show's control, but the way it was, the way it was promoted, it was, it was shit, this is the earth-shattering moment. Here is Evan Peters, who played Quicksilver in the Mm -hmm. X-Men movies, turning up here, playing Quicksilver in an MCU property, and inside of this sitcom world, there is something about him that has made Wanda go, yes, I will accept you as my brother. And... Right. And... I think I think this was I think this was the show having fun with us from the outset of the that he all of his language in that in that um in that Malcolm in the Middle episode there was stuff about nightmares and hell spawn and I think this really I think this was the show deliberately having fun knowing that they were that they were building up to a knob gag. Yes, although I think it's not the knob gag you think it is. Oh right, go on. <laughs> it's that he's a, he's the knob. It's not just his name. It's 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 uh, it's a thing about that. Go on, his his life and his apart. And to be fair, I think this was crushed by because they were obviously going to do more with him. Again, he was part of that Darkhold stealing yeah, subplot. Yeah. So I think the intention was bigger. But the idea is, oh, he's just a dick. It's not just that he's a boner; he's a dick. The thing is, it's he's supposed- still he's still in character when he's the dickhead, right? As soon as he breaks character, he becomes just a scared person who doesn't understand what's happening. I, I, is that what happens? Because I, I, he, he, he laughs only, he, at being called boner. The, it's only, it's when only when she pulls the necklace off that he goes like, I, "I'm Ralph. Don't hurt me." And, and I still can't the last get my head around him. Andrew that that Agatha has the power set to give someone. Super speed. Right, let's talk about... I don't know where to start with this. Because <laughs> Do you think weirdly, it's just the illusion of super speed? Or you just... Don't no, 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 no. If you can... If, if you could... If, if you can do... Magics that can teleport you from one place to another. Which we completely believe she's capable of. She disappears and reappears. That's fine. Why can't you just do that quickly? 
Of course you can do that quickly. I would argue that for sure... I mean, look, if we... The power set argument for me is like the least interesting part. Well, of yes, this. yeah. But was, the power set the, argument yeah. is quite straightforwardly. It's blatantly less power to make a human being appear like to to give the human being the ability to move quickly because moving is a thing people already do. <laughs> so it's just more rather than pulling an entire human being from a different parallel dimension. <laughs> To impersonate somebody else. Of those two things, clearly super speed is the easier one <laughs> at, at a magic power level to achieve. So that's, that's I feel like, very easily squared away. She she just made him fast. That we can agree yeah. on. I know. Okay. All right. So that, like, I'm, I, I'm, oh, and here's the other thing. Like, I don't want to... I'm obviously on the other side of this because I th- I I genuinely think it was a brilliant coup. I think it was terrifically handled. It was the right thing to do. I get that it's upset a lot of people, and I don't want to suggest for a moment that anybody's emotional reaction to something is invalid because it's not invalid. You feel how you feel when you experience art. That's mm. just how that goes. But where I'm coming from, Joe, you said a, re- a really interesting thing. Actually, the pair of you got into this on the uh, on the the Patreon podcast, and I thought it was really smart, which is that. The idea that this was going to open up the the multiverse and give you the X-Men universe as a thing you had access to, and instead of that awesome thing, you got yeah. not that. Yeah. And so it was like a really cool thing you wanted got taken away from you. <laughs> now, I totally appreciate that, but here's the thing. I am so fucking tired of that X-Men universe. <laughs> I have had enough of how bad those movies continue to be in between occasional gems. Now, and by the way, this is this is me. I love... Oh, no, love is the wrong word. I enjoy a great deal Days of Future Past, and I know you guys don't. So I'm one more good X-Men movie than you guys think it, there is. But even notwithstanding that, the idea of hampering the MCU with, well, our first mutant was actually a lend from the other one. And actually, he was a lend from Days of Future Past. And he was only in Days of Future Past as kind of a copyright gotcha because we wanted to get our... He's in Apocalypse our quick... <laughs> yeah, you would Yeah, with the same scene. <laughs> just, just not as Doing good. the same scene twice. They don't bother to characterise him. They give him as minimal a character as it's humanly possible to manage and still get him through the story. They don't do... They have the opportunity to do Magneto has kids and twins and the responsibility... <laughs> like, all of the... In- Oh, they actively swerve it and then go and then do a little gag about how fuck you we're not even doing that, and then make a story out of it in Apocalypse where literally they threaten to have it be the reveal at the end of the movie and then don't bother. <laughs> and he goes, "No, I'd anyway. rather not have that conversation." See, I, right? I no, think. Sorry, I think the 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 promise here though. So you're what what you're saying is I don't want that X Men yeah. universe mess muddying the waters of the MCU, and yeah. to to a large extent. I yeah, agree. I also agree. So my with that. my my alternative to that would be what you've sacrificed with kind of teasing your rabid fans there for a joke at the end. I would either just not do it, or for me, the excitement wasn't wasn't oh this means the X Men in the MCU. This means that universe connected to this. This was purely a like. And now the floodgates for possibilities are open because the MCU has been quietly, very quietly teasing us with the with the multiverse for some time, mm-hmm. and it just felt like, oh, we've been teased again. 
When it, um, I, yeah, especially connecting it to Doctor Strange 2, saying it leads into Doctor Strange 2, which has the word multiverse in the title. Yeah. You bring in a character from another universe, an actor from another universe, and it, and then so, go, oh, no, it was all just a joke. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, um, I, can't, I can't just refute that. That's obviously how it lands. And I didn't, I didn't like the, I didn't like the scene itself where it was revealed. And again, that it just felt right. like it because it had to be so fast. It was another thing to to co- uh, to, to cover off in the finale. Um, and but the the the, the <laughs> thing that I mean, I've I, I you know I I. A lot of people I know who've been getting into Marvel this past year, like lockdown and the launch of Disney Plus has been the (laughs) opportunity to do that. And I don't know anyone who has been kind of, who I've spoken to since the finale that didn't go, oh, I was really annoyed about the Quicksilver thing. Whereas I don't know anyone who is annoyed about it. Really? That's fascinating. All that really tells us is that you and I have the kind of friends that we should have. (laughs) Which is, is, that's again, that's completely reasonable. So look, here's here's a couple of other things. Number one, although that final scene, I I mean, again, we'll talk, I don't want to give the show a pass for COVID difficulties because we've just shot, Mm. we've just shot a kid's show in COVID difficulties. We pulled our cast in a bubble and we made it work. You have to make it work. That's the job. So if you didn't make it work, well, then you still put it out on air. So you, you have to hold up your hands for responsibility for that stuff. But for me, it was always true that it could it was most likely to be a f- casting joke it was always the most likely outcome it would that was way more likely than kevin feige went do you know what i think i do want to make sure that wolverine in the hugh jackman version can turn up at some point and the way i'll signpost that now is with evan peters <laughs> I just, I never bought it. And that's, you know, that's about how much you buy in and, you know, whatever else. But more than that, the wheeze of doing... I grew up on, obviously, Roseanne, which eventually literally cycled the daughters depending on who was in college that week. <laughs> like, they started with one, yeah. they, they changed the other, and eventually it became a joke that they just used whichever one they could get. That this show was doing in its, eight, in its sort of 80s period, that joke... That was a terrific coup. I'm I'm so happy with that. And the only way it do, it it only doesn't work if you don't believe that recasting in shows is a thing. Anyone who thinks that Evan Peters, whenever he turns up in anything else, oh, no, is they, is trying to invoke other parts that he's played. But they so, went they and they went to you know that was the line that they dropped at that moment, wasn't it? That she's recast. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so, you know, it's... But but ultimately, what it ends up being is a joke It's at, it's at the audience's the... expense rather than... No, it's not at the expense is. of the audience. It absolutely is. No, it isn't. That's only if you assume that the joke only comes in episode nine and the joke is, in, is not in that episode. The joke is when he arrives on the doorstep in the first place. No, I yeah. disagree. And that... <laughs> No, of course, and this is this is what I'm talking. This is what I mean. There's no way to to all, all I can do is say this is why it didn't land for me. The way the way it hurt you guys. <laughs> it's 
because you guys were really struck by it. And now I'm watching. There's there's people on TikTok who are doing like, oh, and he's wearing a necklace that causes him whoa possession and super speed. That's just lazy writing. That's not lazy writing. That's official. No, writing. I don't care about that. You've got That's, you know, right. I just, I, people I, are so <laughs> mad that it's escalating. No, I and think all... what's what's interesting, Andrew. I think is that the that the people making the show clearly wrote with an audience in mind who reacted like you did. Yes, and didn't re- didn't write the show with an audience in mind who reacted like James and I did. Well, and and, and when you're talking you can... about millions of people, there's literally no way to account for a whole audience. But this is well, no yes, way to do but it. I think that this is uh, I think this is a very interesting case study. For the, and and you know I'm sure Marvel will be running the numbers about how how this landed, um, yeah. But yeah, it does it does seem to be. I mean, obviously James and I had seen very little reaction of the show when we to the finale when we recorded our mm. episode on Friday night. But yeah, that that my all the conversations I've had about the show since then have just been like, oh, what was that about? Oh, I was really disappointed about that because it just yeah, it felt like a it felt like a promise of something that that was yeah that was Whereas taken it, away. Well, and I think the sh- I think the the I think Marvel were nervous about it. Matt Shackman gave an interview before the finale aired that I didn't read until afterwards, but basically going like. Oh, I'm really worried that people are going to be disappointed in the finale. They've got all these theories and this and that, and I really. Well, to be fair, he was saying that stuff about the the uh, space engineer as well. Yeah, I mean, like... I don't, I don't know what happened with the um, Sayona Paris interview. Whether it was just a a quote, like it was a misquote, or oh, what was that? She just there'd been some interview, like on some comic book website, that had said, "Oh, I can't wait for people to see the reveal of the space and en- of the engineer." Oh. Oh, I wonder if that's a I wonder if that's a misunderstanding I of think her it, last mid credit scene. Maybe, yeah, absolutely, maybe. Um, um, you know, I thought that that was for all of the for all of the stuff we were looking forward to and theorizing. It was like, oh, a scroll shows up at the end. Yeah, <laughs> in a very in a very Marvel post. Not even Nick Fury here's, a scroll. Here's something that has nothing to do with the show you've just been watching, but is a tease for where you'll see yeah. this character next. <laughs> yeah, we should have guessed. We should have guessed. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I don't know. I thought. I thought honestly. I because I remember again. I remember in the Patreon cast you you brought up things like uh, the six one six universe that gets mentioned in Spider Man. And again, that's that thing yes. of like, well, that uh, that's a mention that only works if you know what that means. But then it turns out, and it turns out not to be that. And it's a it's and the Mandarin, of course, is the other one. The the. The and and you you and made for the me, same. This po- comes back to the conversation we were having earlier about the difference between TV and movies. So, uh, I've got yes. a, a point about those two twists, though, which is I think those twists tease you with one thing and then replace it with something more interesting. Mm-hmm. Which they say is he a hero from the from another universe? No, actually, he's a villain who's running a grift. Or they say is this the the supervillain terrorist? No, actually, and I want he's I want some guy who's being manipulated. Well. I well, wonder whether never... the payoff would have been watching Ralph Boner in the final episode, you know, kind of like Dwayne Dibley in Red Dwarf style. <laughs> like, like the joke is now let's let's watch the like maybe he would have been some foppy actor like Ben Kingsley, or maybe he would have been just some absolute doofus. Or maybe then... a, maybe if Agnes had been back there as you know his wife. Being trapped with this like annoying man child, 
Maybe that. Would I mean, have been he's funny, a ma- he's but... a man cave owning failed actor, right? The thing is, the, that's, the... that's his cover, though, isn't it? That's his sitcom cover. We don't know no. what what Ralph uh, Boner is I... in the real universe. I don't know that that's necessarily how you're how you're meant to take it. Although I yeah. get that the logistic, because again, it's, I think this yeah. is told in poetry rather than um, <laughs> instruction manual. Yeah. Um, I think that is how, how you're supposed to. Say. I don't think that's his his delightful uh, sitcom persona. I think that underneath it all, that's based on. Cause, and they do say again that the the personas they have in the sitcom are based on roughly mm-hmm. who they are. Although right. in, what's fascinating in Dottie is Dottie is literally the opposite of Dottie. It turns out Wanda is the queen of the town yes. and the person you should fear. And I thought that flip was just glorious in terms of like its clarity. But my fear with Ralph Boner is that we're going to have a situation similar to that. Um, and I know, you know, I know we're getting Shang-Chi and the 10 rings and the Mandarin mm-hmm. and eventually that's all coming. But I remember when they released the all hail the King short on the DVD. Yeah. And, and Sam Rockwell. And it was like, Oh no, 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 no fans who were disappointed that the Mandarin doesn't exist. He does exist. And he's really mad at Ben Kingsley. And I worry that the lesson that Marvel are going to take from this yes. is like, people were disappointed that he's fake Pietro. So we need to find a way that actually he was Pietro yes. or, or he's, or that Ralph Boner is the witness protection guy, which we talked about on the Patreon. Yes. Could, who's also a Quicksilver. Who's yeah, also, who's a, also yeah. and it, it doesn't, it doesn't add up, but my worry yeah. is that they go, right. Okay. So let's find a way in a future project to kind of, uh, tie a bow on that and make that a thing. And yeah. so then everyone who watched WandaVision, who wanted that to be a thing, will still be disappointed with WandaVision. And everyone who thought it was a brilliant gag then sees the gag under Yeah, I, I would hope they walk the ra- walk away from it like an explosion in the background. Yes, I hope I would, they... The, the, the aerospace <laughs> engineer, even if you did mean that to be Blue Marvel or Reed Richards and you just yep. couldn't figure it out and didn't drop it, ignore it. No, Whenever you fine. introduce that character, it's a new thing. No. Now, yeah. James, I will say, I don't think Aldrich Kid- Killian is necessarily a thing that says, hey, we've got a great big cartoonish villain. Oh, instead it's... it's this guy that you nobody's having the Aldrich Killian action, <laughs> but and if, but none that nonetheless I take. But I do. See, this we're back to the same thing again. I do think the outcome is oh, this is better than that. It's not in particular a show about a woman and boxes and labels to say oh, I'm sorry, were you busy looking at the guy from a different show and thinking he's the most important thing I should be talking about. I feel like even just the commentary of that is better than finding out he's actually Quicksilver from another dimension. Just rejecting the idea that our fixation should be on that guy and st- instead of Wanda. If mm. if that had been more in the show's text, I would agree with you. But yeah. I think that's that's an interpretation you've brought to it that they weren't necessarily. No, intended. absolutely. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think toast, I think it is toast. a good reading of it. And it's something to think about, but I don't think it's something. Well, it's the, the one that it's. Doing. It's why I'm, I wasn't miserable. It's why <laughs> it's why that it's why that outcome only made me go aha the hotspur of that because basically what it says is hey do you know how you thought episodes four and five with him were hilarious partly because they've just literally cast the other guy that is the reason they're hilarious it's okay you can keep that. It kind of handed me a joke from a past episode and said, you're allowed to hold on to that. You don't have to now undermine it with like, oh, actually, he's from a different fictional 
space universe and blah 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 blah. And listen, we all react to bonus differently. Sometimes <laughs> they turn up and we want to see them, and sometimes they turn up and it's the last thing that you want to see in that moment. Oh, so, so let's. I think let's wrap up our one division. Discussion yeah, if there. you can quit ringing that boner out, that would be great. <laughs> I think it's fair to say that we all, as a whole, really, really enjoyed that show. It has reset it. our expectations for what's happening on the Disney Plus shows and the ambition that at least some of those shows might have. And you know, hopefully, Phase Four of Marvel as a whole that that, that you know that the movies can start doing this more often i don't think they never do it but I, th- I th- you would hope it would embolden them a bit between that and pearl nutter getting uh not so you know so black panther now exists and just, captain marvel exists just the slate looks more interesting though doesn't it right like let's let's just run through them black widow shang chi and the legend of the ten rings eternals spider-man no way home dot strange in the multiverse of madness thor love and thunder black panther 2 captain marvel 2 ant-man and the wasp quantum mania Guardians 3, The Fantastic Four, and then on TV, WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Loki, What If, Miss Marvel, Hawkeye, Moon Knight, She-Hulk, Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special, Secret Invasion, Ironheart, Armor Wars, and a Wakanda series. And that's without getting towards the future projects that have been announced, like Blade and stuff like that. Like, this is a different... It's a very different set of propositions, isn't it? It's a very different slate to what we had, where it was like, yeah, let's let's just do the the characters from before but more so even the characters that are returning it feels like let's see what the new twist on them is hopefully. yeah well so, and gone yeah no that's that's where we're going that's where we're going with phase four and i'm more excited about it post division than i was before and it's it's such a i mean the way this series is here it's so nice to see it so go so big to see it just be absorbed on a level of people like the aesthetic of it people have fallen in love with the cast of it people who love fall in love with the storytelling of it and i'm so into this thing of a more emotional again if if you go and watch jack schaefer's um timer movie the sci-fi mechanics of it are not great in exactly the same way as the site the mechanics of getting sword and information around in this show are not great but it's the emotional storytelling that's really driving it, that's really interesting. And the same is true of WandaVision. And, God, if we could just balance... There's a thing in Doctor Who where they talk about gun episodes and frock episodes. So sometimes you, 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 know, you fight Daleks on a moon, and sometimes you dress up in the period costume and you faff around with some silliness. Yeah. If we could get a little bit more frock into the MCU, <laughs> I would be very, very happy. And this is a frock show, um, so you know if we can, if if Marvel would just like if make make half of its slate this stuff, in between doing lots of you know look you know because when it does its kicky punchy stuff well, it does Endgame and it's glorious. So I, we can there's room for plenty. So I'm hoping this is a, an object lesson in. You know, I, I hope the boner thing is so not the lesson they take away from <laughs> what happened to this show. Definitely. Okay, so that was our discussion of One Division. We uh, normally at this point we were we're planning on bringing back James's comic book recommendations. I think James kind of did yes. that at the start in our in our uh, Wonder and Vision explainer section. That Vision comic is terrific, isn't yeah, it? That's it's King. I reread it in the other really day. Really great, fantastic. It's so that the black comedy of it, it's marvellous. So yeah, recommend everyone goes and checks that out. 
this is the moment that we we got the long-awaited return of one of our favourite sections, the pitch. Hey. And this is also the moment that we um, we tease him on the Patreon episode. You know, he's like the engineer, except he's actually turned up. We <laughs> have got a new producer for Cinematic Universe. That's one of the reasons you're hearing all of the all of the old features return and one of the reasons the Patreon and the, the main feed are going to be continuing both at pace is that, hey, past and former guest, uh, past and future guest, yeah. producer Reese. Oh, hi, hi, hello. <laughs> it's Reese Williamson, who has, right. yeah, obviously guested on the podcast <clears throat> many times before. Reese is going to be joining us as producer moving forwards. And uh, Reese, we've, ta- we- we've tasked you <laughs> with hitting us with. <clears throat> A pitch, like we used to do in the old days. Andrew, James, and I are all going to take part. I and... used to love the pitch. <laughs> uh, you, I, I, Andrew, my memory is that you came up with some great pitches. <laughs> a lot, you know. I mean, I kind of would have expected that you would come up with better pitches than us. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, hang on. Um, don't let's not let's not preempt it. <laughs> so, Reese, um, I. <clears throat> Hitters, sure. what, what are we doing this week? Well, I was I I, I was going to do a uh, pitch me where you'd like to see actual Ralph Boner pop up again in the MCU, but I, I kind of <laughs> think you guys you guys actually kind of put that whole track to bed in the main discussion. So actually, I'll just come up with a different one on the fly. So I'm going to do this one instead. Uh, so this is so pitch me uh, a one division sequel show, but it's a different MCU character and it's a different TV genre. Oh, oh. Who, who are you, you going to make go first? Uh, you, because you you have spoken first there, Joe. So there we go. <laughs> You're up. <laughs> Don't go around, Craig. And Andrew, as the guest, you will go last. You get the most time. Okay. <laughs> Can be a character or set of characters like Division ones. You know, a couple of characters. <clears throat> okay, go. so I'm going to bring back my, uh, you know, my beloved from the MCU, Peggy Carter. <laughs> uh, we're going to reboot Agent Carter for season three. Except we are going to shift into full Mad Men territory. Um, now it's it, going to be good. Yes. <laughs> hey, I like, season, I like season two a lot. Um, and and Peggy is going to be running Shield in the fifties, uh, like you know, like we should have been seeing originally. And um, it's you know, it's basically going to be a gender flipped inversion of Mad Men. Um, yeah, in 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 the nineteen fifties Shield office. Uh, I like your answer. Maybe I should. I feel like you've tripped yourself up, though. I, I, what I kind of meant was a different, you know, a, a, a whole genre of TV where you're kind of moving through different, maybe types oh, okay. of examples of that. That's all right. So she's <laughs> she's in a procedural through the fifties, sixties, seventies, and eighties. Yeah, Come right. on, that's great. That's yeah, fine. Andrew's <laughs> assisting you there on that answer. <laughs> well, I'm basically script editing your, your pitch <laughs> yeah. there, Joe. I just you're off the clock, I just but you're needed on the clock. to very quickly figure out how I was making that. <laughs> yeah, sure, James. Uh, surprising no one, I think Cat Dennings. Um, sure. I think the format should be Cat uh, Dennings is stuck in a sci-fi anthology that is moving from the fifties through to the noughties. Um Oh, that's fun! Like a Twilight Zone, Twilight Zone kind of. Yeah, thing. so we can hit the Twilight that's Zone. Fun. We can maybe hit yeah. Doctor Who. We can hit um, Black Mirror. You know, all those things. That's um, but you get Cat Dennings in every one. Which what could be better? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's a great idea, and there was probably a better character for it. But because James <laughs> yeah, was no. pitching, there wasn't. <laughs> there is a thread. There is a thread from those first two answers for sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, 
do you know what? Let's do <laughs> let's do Nebula <laughs> and and trap her in a series of oh, kitchen I kind of don't want to do procedures. Well, <laughs> domestic dramas. I quite like the idea of of trapping her in a series of um, like uh, one off detective crime show kind of things. So thing, things things like Private Eye shows, but also shows like Midnight Caller. Do you remember Midnight Caller in the nineties? <laughs> he runs a ra- he runs a radio show, but also so or the Equalizer. Let's like, like, <laughs> right, yeah. so, but a seri- so okay. she's essentially a bounty hunter, right? So you give her this sort of Boba Fetty kind of existence, and sometimes a bail bonds person mm. or whatever and you take her through various iterations of those kinds of g- weirdly gritty but network action sequence <laughs> action thrillers Miami Vice My, maybe Miami Vice but now it's maybe got a bit too Rockford? much glitz to it and it's that's a double act show and it shouldn't be a double act show she should be able to get new partners mm. every week yeah, okay. or, or new collaborators but the trick is She's never seen any of these shows, so she doesn't know how they work. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. So, and basically, will the the big reveal at the end will be like it's part of a bionic implant or something? Mm. We'll say that she's literally having to go through these processes because of who killed her, Mm. Um, and so it's her her uh, her her cyborg memory kind of reforming and putting itself back together. Look, I've got an ending. Jesus. That's, that's, like blood that's shot. really good, but when you when you <laughs> first started saying that, you were like, it's Nebula and she's trapped. And in my head I was just like, is he doing Crystal Maze? <laughs> <laughs> I, I now wish I had said that it's Thanos and he's going through children's TV series. <laughs> just, like the angry dad. Just so confused about <laughs> what he's supposed to be doing and why all these children are singing. Going that... through the red crystal. <laughs> hey, wait, what? And and he ends up in the sack lunch bunch. Yeah. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Reese, uh, I think you've got the, the fairly simple task of choosing a winner there. Yeah. Um I I think I think I'm gonna go with James. Yeah. Oh wow. Hey. Sorry, Andrew. Sorry, Joey, you you know you No, man didn't have an yourself. ending, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I guess for Andrew, if I'm being honest, I couldn't quite connect the nebula of that. I didn't really get why it would be nebula. <laughs> because I, I, do you know what? It all stems. I know this is really stupid. <laughs> sure. It stems from her playing that table football game with Tony. <laughs> I'm so fascinated oh, okay. with the way she doesn't understand how Earth stuff works. Yeah. yeah. But doesn't hate it when she encounters it. So there's like an emotional journey there of coming to find love and affection and compassion and all the things that she doesn't mm. get a lot of. Sorry, I'm doing a whole emotion. See, it's a- you've gone, oh, it's, you've gone it's, deeper than I think. James kept it on the surface, and so my well, brain look, was like, "Oh, the, the pair of them picked women they fancied." <laughs> Come on, fair, Andrew. Fair point. Are you saying you don't fancy anyone? Nebula? I, I, could, I could have named <laughs> you know anyone from the MCU, and I would have fancied them. <laughs> no fair. All right. Because uh, my moment- turns, out, turns out they put attractive people in these TV <laughs> shows. They what? Because my my memory is that basically whenever whenever there was a guest on, Joey who you know who used to give this award, I would pretty much always give it to the guest. So I kind of thought, yeah, you'd, yeah. I'd want to set a different. Now you gotta shake it up. I'm fine with it. It's, I'm <laughs> it also played into the gag that um, Seb would really win because <laughs> it was more fun to hear Seb reacting to not winning. <laughs> oh god, well there's a legacy to inherit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
So yeah, maybe maybe I've just found out that I've inherited it for myself. So <laughs> and by by the way, in a in a show all about uh, loss and coming to terms with it, pull one out for Seb mm. on this one. Yeah, uh, the, uh, I can I can I can say confidently for, throughout the Patreon episodes and this episodes, um, we I think James and I were probably referencing Seb on a number of occasions without explicitly yeah, doing absolutely. it. That it was. It was uh, certainly in the back of my mind watching yeah. a lot. Yeah, of I don't think it left any show. of us. Yeah. Ah. Oh, anyway, um, so that do you, do you know what though? What what a testament to this show that we can be watching it with uh, grief very much fresh in the memory. And um, you know, we didn't we didn't talk about that line that 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 heavily memed line. No. Now, but, but a it, lot of glorious writing in the show. A lot of really yeah. on point specific writing. But um, you know, and I, none I better than that one. I didn't watch that. I didn't sit in that moment and think, "Oh, how gross! What what a you know what what a sad thing that the MCU has tried to do there." I, yeah. I just sat there and went, "Oh yeah." Yeah, That's... there's a lovely again. Schaefer tells a lovely story about how that line came together, where proper writers' they, room, isn't it? Well, it starts in the, it starts in the writers' room, but then it goes to the set, and Bethany says, "Do you know my thing at the end of Age of Ultron? I think isn't beautiful because it lasts. I feel like he wants to offer her more wisdom hmm. than we've got on the page right now. Is there something more I can say?" And Schaefer writes a line which is something like um, surviving. Yeah. Yes, uh, grief is love surviving, mm. and then rather brilliantly, the, her writer's assistant turn, turns it into enduring, which is what makes it. Somebody it's on my perse- Twitter persevering. said persevering. Persevering, sorry, persevering, which makes it active instead of of just mm. passive, instead of just a yeah. thing that happens. It's a thing that does. Mm. And there's and it's just glorious. And it's just like that's how the process. That's how the team. When people talk about like oh, but these are team shows and groups of people come up with the stories and that's it's not written a bad by thing, is it? It isn't always a bad thing. And God, if you if ever anything proved that actually the team is what makes these things work a lot of the mm. time, it's a line like that. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us on this one division episode. I, I, you you fulfilled the promise as the guest that we had to have for this episode. <laughs> um, where can our listeners find you? Is there anything that they should be looking out for? I guess, so, I guess well, this, this children's TV show. I'm imagining you'll be talking about more in the future. Yeah, absolutely. I think that kind of turns up around about May June. So, but that's a that's sci-fi exciting. comedy musical. So, like, uh, it's, oh, wow. it's a sci-fi <laughs> sitcom comedy. It, it's a sci-fi sitcom musical. So it's like totally in my wheelhouse. Yeah. And not a. Li- By the way, where was the musical episode of One Division? We'll come. Back oh, to that, that would have been good. Bangers though. The bangers they did have. Yeah. Um, so no, that that one we'll talk about down the line. Although really, I can't imagine the crossover audience is that huge. But I guess anyone listening with with kind of six, seven, eight, nine, ten year olds, uh, <laughs> this will work for. Um, but in the meantime, I'm Elardent on Twitter. E double L A R D E N T. It doesn't stand for Elard Entertainment, but everyone thinks it does, <laughs> so we'll stick with that. Um, uh, the Guardian pieces are all up, so if you go to the the, the Guardian website, all all eight weeks because we covered episode one and two together. Yeah. Um, by the way, that was a canny piece on Marvel's part because mm. you should definitely not have wait, made people wait <laughs> too long for what <laughs> comes up at the end of what comes out of kind of episode. You needed those two going out together. That was very smart. I hope we don't get an hour and a half worth of Falcon and the Winter Soldier in one fell swoop. No, that would that would. I don't. I don't, I don't think they'll need it. I feel like that show's going to be more confidently itself 
and yeah. clearly what it's doing in episode one without annoying anybody. Yeah. But I think two episodes in black and white being a bit coy would kind of wound people up. I thought yeah. the, the scheduling was very smart there. Um, but yes, El Ardent on Twitter and on The Guardian, I think if you just look for WandaVision, probably those will all come up. But my author page has all eight of those yeah. up, the, the show notes for that. Um, and if you go on Medium and type tweet notes and... Well, basically just type tweet notes. You'll get basically everything I've put up there. Uh, the various Marvel movies and Doctor Who's and whatever else I've criticised recently. <laughs> Great. So, yeah, listeners, definitely... Uh, definitely, I, I would highly encourage you go and find those those uh, Guardian uh, show notes as we definitely defined them, Andrew. Uh, yes. Not reviews, not recaps. Show not notes. reviews, not recaps. <laughs> so yeah, definitely recommend that you go and find those. Um, from our perspective, I think you would have uh, struggled to have got through this episode and not learned that James and I are doing more stuff on the Patreon. Yeah. We have completely reworked our Patreon tiers. We're stripping things back. There are two tiers. There's a $1 tier if you want to subscribe to us and support us. Uh, that will give you ad-free access to the episodes on the main feed. If you want to hear our, our bonus episodes, which will be weekly recaps of every Disney Plus show, and on weeks where there aren't Disney Plus shows, there will still be content. Um, so that will kick off from the start of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We've got some fun ideas of what we're going to do in between the gaps as well. That is the $3 tier. Um, and I'm you... now paying less. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to say to listeners, if you do want to, um, if you do want to back at a higher amount, feel free to do that. <laughs> I think there's the option to do that, but three dollars gets you absolutely everything. Uh, that we is wanted to set Patreon.com/slash/cinematicuniverse. Patreon.com/slash/cinematicuniverse. And I endorse that as a listener because I don't have to listen to those. I actually do do it for fun. Yeah. Uh, well, and and you know, James and I are recording them for fun our <laughs> our mantra with this podcast you know has has been continue doing it as long as it's fun and we are having an absolute hoot at the moment and the the patreon stuff has been yeah uh, an absolute delight so head to patreon if you would like to back us to to unlock and of that, course that falcon Winter soldier content. starts a week from from release of this of this episode next friday yeah it's next hey. friday so we'll be right um, back on that train from then right Mm-hmm. So yeah, if you want to hear that, if you want to hear the Falcon and the Winter Soldier episodes and access the back catalogue of all of our WandaVision episodes, head on there straight away, backers, and and yeah, you'll be getting content immediately. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to the podcast on your podcast app of choice. Uh, the best way to get in touch with us is on Twitter at cine underscore verse, or you can email us on podcast at cinematicuniverse dot com. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. We live in a society... Where honour is a distant memory. Isn't that right? Batman. (laughs) Cinematic Universe returns in two weeks' time with Zack Snyder's Justice League. Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.